All sports, all the time. There's heroes and there's legends. Heroes get remembered. Legends never die. This is the Spoken Podcast. Hold your ears, folks. It's showtime. I'm your host, Lance Twidwell. Man, that kid, he can ball, man. He can ball. Touchdown, Kansas City! Man with freaking Mahomes, baby! Uh, let's talk some sports, because that's what we're here to do. You are tuned in to the Spoken. Spoken. Ladies and gentlemen, here is Lance Twidwell. This is the Spoken Podcast. I am your host, Lance Twidwell, here inside the Spoken Studios with my guys Trevor Twidwell What's good? and Eddie Ortiz. Yo, yo, yo. Episode 165 in full swing, full motion. We are so happy for you guys to be here with us because, man, do we have a fun filled show for you guys, especially you Chiefs fans. I hope you guys are tuned in and ready to go because we have a draft spectacular show for you guys. We have had a fun last couple of days watching how the Chiefs have finagled their way into getting themselves some absolute studs in this draft and it's not over because day three is going as we are doing this show right now. I believe the draft just started as we decided to start this episode so stay tuned. If you guys have any updates for us let us know what the Chiefs are doing. We know that Brett Veach is trying to be aggressive and getting back in to the fourth round, which is going on right now as we speak. So we know that he's going to be trying to use that fifth round pick he got back from the Patriots last night to try to get back in the fourth. But regardless of what Brett Veach does, before I get into any of that, again, thank you guys for viewing in and listening in, whether you're live streaming, podcasting, or YouTubing. Thank you so much for your time. And we hope that you guys hit that subscribe button on our YouTube channel, man. We're trying to grow the brand and trying to get out there further and reach more folks out there to join the conversation with us at The Spoken. And we appreciate everybody that's already been a part of it. Our guy, Eddie Ortiz. He's Mr. Yo 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 decided to show back up. He ran out of a PTO at the Spoken Podcast, so he's back with us for the time being. And we appreciate him being back. Eddie, did you have a uh, fun on your little vacation? Oh man, I had a blast, you know. Except last week, but we, we don't want to talk about that. <laughs> oh, that was a different kind of no, no, blast. I mean, it's, it's okay. Kind of blast, you can you know? let him, you can let him know about the the crab incident incident if you like, Eddie. It's fine with me. Oh, uh, you know, uh, I'm not a big fan of the ocean as is, uh, like. I just hate like the fact of like fishes swimming around me or any any sea creatures swim, swimming around me. So I'm already going in there with you know like uh, I guess with scare or, or whatnot of the ocean. Anxiety. Anxiety, correct. And uh, you know I'm just you know chilling there with my my friends. I'm just having a good time. And then next thing you know, I just feel like this really really sharp pinch on my back, my lower back. Those are really really sharp. When I say sharp. I, it hurt. It hurt. Uh, and then I turned around and it was a crab. And then I was like, "Oh shit!" And then Catching I, the shit. <laughs> yeah. And then I, uh, I swiped at it. And then I sent it. A, I sent it to my buddy. And then my buddy, he was not close, to, uh, like super close to me. I would say there was probably like uh, ten feet in between us. Uh, and uh, he saw the crab. It was like halfway between us. And he saw the crab. He pointed at it. He was like, oh, look, it's a crab. Like, he was so excited. He was so excited. But as soon as he said, oh, it's a crab, that some bitch just fucking took off and pinched pinched his stomach, like, oh, really shit. hard. So it pinched his stomach, and then he started boxing the crab, and then he started zigzagging in the water while, while boxing the crab. And then out of nowhere, he, he swiped the water, and uh, the crab went away. 
And so did we. So, uh, <laughs> yes. Well, the NFL has themselves a little crab right now that's attacking them, and it's one Mr. Brett Veach. And I appreciate Eddie for giving that, you know, that that, that actual story because I, when he first told me that, I'd probably, I, I think I was like dry heaving from the laughter that I was experiencing, man, because that was one of the funniest fuckers. I've never heard me actually get attacked by a crab, and then the crab turned around and went after. It was like the Joe Pesci of crabs, you know? Was like, let me at him. Let me at him. Yeah, he fucking tag team for tag team does. <laughs> Well, like I said, guys, Brett Veach is out here attacking like a crab out there in the ocean because this dude is out here making moves. I said uh, the offseason, to me, showed that the Chiefs were clearly going to be as aggressive as all the other AFC teams were in free agency and in trades because the Chiefs were completely conservative in free agency. They made some signings, but it was nothing that I think shocked or wooed or, or really moved the needle at, at a dramatic effect, especially with what the Chiefs lost in Tyreek Hill and Tyron Matthew. So I was convinced to myself that, okay, the Chiefs are clearly going to make some serious moves and swing some heavy haymakers in the draft. And that's exactly what they've done in the first two days of the draft. And I don't expect anything less or different in day three uh, as this is going on today. So I just want to go over a little overview. We're going to have our guy from Kingdom Says Podcast, Arrowhead Tom, joining us this week. He was going to join us last week. We had some things come up. We had some you know last-second things go on. But he's going to give us his review on what he thinks the Chiefs have done right now. I've been reading some of his tweets, and I hope that you guys go and follow him at Arrowhead Tom on Twitter because he has great breakdowns, and he gives an honest viewpoint and opinion on what he sees from each and every draft pick. And so so far, I've seen him be very, very optimistic, like the majority of people out there. And I'm going to give you guys some quotes from some big-time uh, draft gurus and people that follow the NFL very closely from NFL Network and other websites. But just to give you guys a little bit of a rundown of where the Chiefs are at right now, their first overall pick, they traded up to the 21st pick from 29, and cornerback, defensive back, Trent McDuffie out of Washington. Then they went in at 30 and got themselves an edge rush, George Karloftis out of Purdue. Then in the, in the second round, they went and got uh, Sky Moore. They actually traded back from the 50th pick to the 54th pick and got themselves Sky Moore out of Western Missouri. Western Michigan. Then later on uh, last night in the third round, they went and got themselves safety Brian Cook out of Cincinnati. And in the third round as well, they went and got themselves Leo, Leo Chennault, the linebacker out of Wisconsin. So, is, is Wisconsin, correct? Yes. Yeah, Wisconsin. So, yeah, yeah. I always get those... Yeah, uh, yeah. For some reason, I see the Wisconsin logo, and I always get them mixed up with Rutgers, even though they're different letters. It's the same color scheme and everything. It always drives me nuts. But it's Wisconsin. Well, I want to give you guys a couple quotes from people that are paid a lot of money to cover the NFL and the NFL draft. A guy that actually follows the Chiefs really closely from the NFL Network is James Palmer. Something he tweeted out last night. This is literally his words, quote, Chiefs, man. This is a solid, solid draft so far for Brett Veach. Needs and value can't beat that, end quote. Daryl Je Daniel Jeremiah from the NFL Network and Move the Sticks podcast, quote, Patrick Mahomes is going to have a lot of fun throwing to Sky Moore. Wins right off the line with great hands, lots of smiles in Kansas City, end quote. Greg Bedard, founder of the Boston Sports Journal, quote, Chiefs take linebacker Leo Chennault, the last of the impactful linebackers. Casey got McDuffie, Karloftis, Moore, and Chennault, and Brian Cook. Hot damn, end quote. These are just a few, and I, and I was going through a list of people that were saying things, and, and a lot of them are more uh, leaning Chiefs-friendly guys, you know, like Trey Wingo, who is a, an actual Chiefs fan. So I, I didn't really want to give those guys, you know, like a lot of a, a, a creep. bias in there. Yeah, because there's some bias in there. You can always be optimistic, like we are on this show sometimes. We can be a little bit leaning towards, like, you know, pro-Chiefs, yeah. obviously, as you can see Trevor and Eddie's drop, uh, backdrop. But 
I wanted to get the opinions of people that really have no actual connection or attachment to the Chiefs. And you're seeing guys from the Boston Damn Journal, the founder of the Boston Journal, saying hot damn when it comes to these draft picks. And look, guys, you got, my, my mentality, Trevor and I had our breakdown last week and how I felt that the Chiefs needed to go about the draft. I said they needed to go and trade up as far as they could and get the best edge rush. I was big on Kayvon Thibodeau. I was big on Jermaine Johnson. I was big on Trayvon Walker and, and Aiden Hutchinson. Those guys ended up not being the realistic selections for the Chiefs. But something I know about Brett Veach is that when he has his mind set on an in particular individual, He's going to end up getting them, or at least doing everything he can to get them. And the trade-up for McDuffie, although a cornerback position, I didn't have the Chiefs getting into the fourth round. I didn't see the Chiefs going for the cornerback until the fourth round. Clearly, they saw something different in this scenario, but I think there was some genius to it outside of just adding the talent of McDuffie to this said team. It's the fact that also the Chiefs did something that I think was so intentional and so brilliant of keeping more talent away from another competitor in the AFC. What I mean by that is we knew that the Bills were trying to get a cornerback first in the draft because they need cornerback help. Poyer and guys like that are starting to get up. Tredavious White's been hurt. There's a lot of questions in that secondary now. And the AFC's gotten stronger at quarterback, more wide receivers, things of that nature. The Bills know they got to up their defense. And you saw that the Bills were trying to trade up into the early 20s to yeah. get McDuffie. Yeah. And so the Chiefs decided, fuck that. We're moving from 29 to 21 to jump them from 23, and we're going to go get the well, guy they Beach, wanted to. Brett Beach made it clear he didn't think he'd be, that McDuffie would be even be there at that point yeah. in the draft. Yeah, and so when so. he fell that far, and then he saw another team that, it's, let's be honest, is the 1B to the Chiefs 1A in the AFC. Right. They're like, yeah, we're not going to let that guy fall to them because we didn't think he was, like you said, they, we didn't think he was going to be there anyway. So we'll be damned if we let him fall further than we thought he was going to be and then fall to the team that is coming at us and coming at us strong. So that was that was a genius move, in my opinion, for the Chiefs, even though, again, I didn't value cornerback the same way the Chiefs did. But then at 30, the Chiefs do everything and anything I wanted them to do, which is to solidify edge rush. A guy in George Karloftis that, although he wasn't the biggest guy on my board, admittedly so, He's still a guy that every single note I'm seeing from people is a positive. There are things that obviously you can critique in his game. We're going to get to that in a second from people that I trust that have far surpassed my understanding or my ability to break down talent. But these guys that we see in the first round alone are automatic wins because why? We knew that cornerback and edge rush were the biggest needs on the defensive side for the Chiefs. And the Chiefs went out there and answered it immediately. Everybody was obsessed with trading up for a wide receiver. And I had been pounding the table. I had been pounding the table and telling people, guys, that is not what the Chiefs are doing. There was one thing I was sure of, and it was that the Chiefs were not trading up for a wide receiver because that is not their biggest need. And I think that they showed us in free agency one of the few moves they made was going and signing two free agents with Juju Smith-Schuster and MVS. Now, MVS isn't an answer, but he is depth. And I think the Chiefs were confident in not only the fact that they got those two guys, but they also knew that the draft was going to fall in the way that guys like Sky Moore and George Pickens were going to be there in the second and third round, which is exactly how it went down. And the Chiefs were so confident that guys like Sky Moore were going to be there that they moved from 50 to 54 to add another pick. So it was genius in how they even got their own receiver. But I knew that wasn't going to be the case, and I love the fact that the Chiefs went out there and got immediate needs at the most important positions of need this offseason by going and getting Trent McDuffie and George Karloftis. And again, with Sky Moore, initially I, wasn't, I, I was of the belief that Chiefs were going to go and add more depth 
to the to the big receiver mix. I thought that's what they were going to do. And again, we're going to break that down in just a second. But I love everything I'm seeing in film. And again, for the second straight night, I did not get sleep because I was watching and paying attention closely to the film of these guys. But with Sky Moore, it was easier. Because there were so many people that were coming out and telling me what I needed to know about Sky Moore that had been paying attention to him much longer than I have been, which was about three hours. And everything they told me was everything the Chiefs needed out of a wide receiver. A fast guy that can get off the break, that can do things in multiple positions, whether it's slot, whether it's wide out, whether it, this guy is versatile. This guy was actually a quarterback and a defensive back before he became a wide receiver. I was listening to Jay Binkley's show in 610 before the show today, and they had his coach on there from Western Michigan. And he was saying that he started out as a quarterback, then put him at defensive back, and then realized, no, this guy's a wide receiver. So there was like the Julian Edelman Which is comparison. Easy the other way around. Yes. Yeah. There was like the Julian Edelman comparison, how this guy has all the brains, and then they found his perfect spot. So now he knows what the quarterback position is supposed to do. He knows what the defensive backs are going to do against him, he and he routes. plays the position that's going to benefit the quarterback and diffuse what the defensive backs are going to do. His instincts. This guy could be the steal of the draft, man. I, I'm not trying to get out of the head of it, but just knowing the value of the position of the, where the Chiefs took him and how much people are hyping this dude up, with Patrick Mahomes as his quarterback in Andy Reid's system, it's really, really difficult to not get excited about Sky Moore and what he could do day one. Now, it is Andy Reid's offense, mm -hmm. so we do know that it's going to be a little bit difficult for guys to walk in here and all of a sudden just flourish. That doesn't usually happen. Yeah. Not even Tyreek Hill did. That took a couple years for Tyreek Hill to really become who he was. But I would believe that if Tyreek Hill had Patrick Mahomes day one in 2016, if Tyreek Hill or Patrick Mahomes had been on this team a couple years earlier, Tyreek Hill would have been even better well, that much quicker. And Tyreek Hill wasn't nearly as a polished receiver as Sky Moore is. 100%. In the draft, so. He played a lot of running back. Yeah. Right. Yeah. He was so, a special teamer, too. Yeah. And then, obviously, the Chiefs took two more picks before the night was over in day two. They got safety Brian Cook out of Cincinnati and linebacker Leo Chennault out of Wisconsin. And, look, Clay Windler, our producer and the guy that runs Red Tribe Cinema, he was tweeting me or he was uh, messaging me a lot of stuff about um, uh, the, the safety out of Cincinnati, uh, Brian Cook. This guy... <laughs> He runs a 4-4-40, and I'm not big on the whole, like, combine stuff because he actually didn't get to play in the combine a lot, or he didn't get to perform the combine at all because he had a shoulder injury mm -hmm. that he has recovered from fully. But a 4-4 flat 40 plus a, a vertical over 38 inches at 6'1", 209 pounds, and is, a, and is an absolute rocker, and a guy that can actually knock you off your shoes, is a guy that I want on my team no matter what position you're taking him at. I, if this guy's a, a third-round pick or a second-round pick, sign me up, man. If you can get that type of physicality at it, because at this point of the draft, you're looking for guys that have the physical traits that your coaching staff can get the most out of. You don't have to look at the most polished players. That's what the first round's for. You're looking for guys that are in the first round that, that can day one be the guy. You know, Aiden Hutchison, day one is going to be the Lions guy. Yeah. Uh, day one, uh, Ed, uh, uh, Trent McDuffie is going to be the Chiefs guy. Carl Loftus is going to be the Chiefs guy. Will they work on things? Yes, they're rookies. But they're sure things, or as, as close to sure things as you could possibly get. Mm -hmm. But in two, three, four, and beyond rounds... You're looking for guys that you your 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 coaching staff can make them into projects and get the most out of them within year one, year two, year three, and beyond. I think that Brian Cook and Leon Chanel are those guys, and I think that I think that Spagnola is licking his chops, looking at the talent these guy has. I mean, Leo Chanel literally has a tattoo on his arm that says "Death Row." I mean, the Chiefs went from Tyron Matthew being Ren is due to now having Leo Chanel and Death Row. I, I kind of like that one a lot. Now. 
there's obviously some proving grounds here. We're going to have to see what this guy can do. But the Chiefs needed linebacker so bad. In fact, it was the third on my board. It was the third position I wanted to see the Chiefs go after. Mm -hmm. And that's what they did. They went and got themselves a, stro a strong side linebacker that complements Willie Gay Jr.'s game, Nick Bolton's game in the middle, and can play Mike linebacker if, in fact, Nick Bolton or whoever the other linebacker is in the middle goes down with an injury. So you got versatility. And, the, and the, my favorite thing, and I'm going to start with you guys right after this, my favorite thing about this draft so far, and we have more more to go. The Chiefs have at least six, seven, eight more picks to go in this draft, which excites the shit out of me as well. You can find a lot of value in day three. The Chiefs did everything I wanted them to do in this draft. I had eight picks for the Chiefs in this draft. Six of them were defensive players. Mm -hmm. I think, Trevor, you had almost the exact same. You had more picks, yeah. but you had about the same percentage. I of had ten total picks, but six or. Uh, six of them were defensive. Oh, so you had 50-50. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I had eight picks and six of them defenders. Eddie, you had a ton of defenders. I think you had them taking three defensive backs. I think you had them taking a couple linebackers. You had, you, We all had the similar mindset. The Chiefs have to hit defense. Yeah, yeah. And that's exactly what the Chiefs have done. Four of their five picks so far are defensive players and are guys that can legitimately be day one contributors. Yeah. I don't know how you guys could be excited about this draft. If you, I can't help you if you don't believe that Brett Veach has done anything other than crush ass in this draft to this point. Could one of these guys, could a couple of these guys be busts? Sure. It happens in every single draft. But I think we've seen the progress of Brett Veach in knowing how to identify talent and identify needs in the draft as time has gone on. This is the first draft in five years as the general manager for the Chiefs that Brett Veach traded back. You know what that shows me? That the man knows how to calculate aggressiveness. Because that is not aggressive. That's playing, like you said before the show started, Trevor, playing chess. That's while everyone else is playing checkers. That, yeah, that's passive <laughs> aggressive. That's, that's showing that you have trust yeah. in, in what you know the board to be. The Chiefs said, we're not going to take the hype and go and trade several picks for Jamison Williams in the first 15 picks. We're not going to go out there and try to overspend on overshoot on a draft pick. Or, we're going to let our board that we've studied do what it does. What's and, funny is we might, we might have sniped the Bills twice because I know that uh, Sky Moore was even saying that the Bills were the, mo the team that were most aggressive on him with his visits and they were the most communication with him. So I know McDuffie was in and you know who wasn't? the Bills, too, and we, we leapfrogged the Bills to get McDuffie. You know who didn't even v visit with Sky Moore? Uh, the Chiefs. They didn't visit with him one time. Really? I thought he visited. Not no. once. No? I know we had like a, a, I thought we had like a Zoom meeting or something. The, no, no. The Chiefs the chief said that they were studying film on him, he and they knew everything they needed to know. They, yeah. never, they never had like a sit-down one-on-one. They did with George Pickens. Several times. They talked to Chris Olave. They talked so, to, talk so to we, other we might have sniped the Bills twice, bro. This yeah. yeah, dude. So this is why this is why I'm so excited because like I said, they kept the competition at bay yeah. by going and getting guys that they knew they wanted. And they got guys that can immediately impact this defense and make this defense that much better. Because as I said on the show last week, and I'll say it again and again and again, this the Patrick Mahomes' Super Bowl success is going to hinge on how great the defense is. Because we know that Patrick Mahomes is always going to keep this offense in the top 5 to 10 every single year. Yep. This is always going to be a premier offense as long as Patrick Mahomes is who he is. So the Chiefs have to give him something that he can rely on on the other side of things when he's not Superman every single game. Because Patrick Mahomes won't be Superman every single game. We saw that in the AFC Championship last year. First half, Patrick Mahomes is impenetrable. He was spectacular. That was some of the best quarterback I've, quarterback play I've ever seen. In the second half, he was terrible. You need to have a defense that can that can pick you up when you fall down, when all of a sudden the kryptonite hits you. And they didn't have that. They couldn't get to the quarterback. Karloftis is the type of guy that can be that guy. High motor, 
power rushing, power rush, being able to knock tackles off on their asses and go and get the quarterback. That is exactly what the Chiefs need. A lockdown cornerback that can play both outside and inside slot corner, a lot like Tyron Matthew did with with uh, Trent McDuffie. Mm. I I love this. I could not be more excited about it. If I had to give this letter, if I had to give this draft a letter grade, it's A just based on the mentality alone. But when you look at the talent, when you look at the the versatility, and you look at the smarts of these players the Chiefs grabbed, I think they've had a top five draft in this in the, in the NFL this this year. I think the Jets, Lions, Giants, teams like that have had great drafts. Eagles, I think they had a great great draft. Outside of those teams, I think the Chiefs have had a better draft than anybody else. And there's been some good draft picks from the Ravens and other teams like that. Yeah. But the Chiefs have absolutely crushed ass, and Brett Veach deserves all the praise for what he's done so far. And I can't wait to see what they do from here on out. Yeah, I mean, starting the draft off with a with a cornerback, I was not very happy to be honest with you. And I didn't, I don't know much. I still don't know too much about McDuffie. I've been watching his film lately. Um, and I mean, it's a Washington corner, a Washington DB. So I mean, that should excite you regardless with, with the past we've had with Marcus Peters and you know playmakers coming out of Washington. They they breed them there. Um, so I mean, it, it, it grew on me. It took me a minute to really excite. I really wanted the best edge rusher there, um, uh, especially trading up to get somebody. I was like, oh, for, for for sure, trading up to get an edge rusher, an immediate impact player. Uh, and so McDuffie was a little. Uh, anti-climatic for me at the moment because I didn't know him the name really well. Um, I didn't know of him, but once I watched his film and I really kind of started to get to know the personality and his IQ, the high IQ of this kid, then it kind of started like easing me into like loving that pick. So now I am loving that pick um, just because my my personal ignorance to who he is. Um, so now I, I, I'm definitely loving that pick and trading up to get him because the, the Bills most likely would have got a really good playmaker ahead of us if we didn't make that move and be aggressive there. So kudos to each for that move. But you mean, this draft has gone... It's 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 very it's rare as it, as especially as a, a yearly contender like the Chiefs to have a draft fall into your favor. Not only the players of need are there, but they're also value picks. Mm-hmm. It's very rare to find value picks that are also need guys that are filling an immediate position that can be day one starters. And that's that's all that's happened for the Chiefs so far in this draft. And they right. position themselves every single pick so far. Carloftis, uh, the two first two guys with with McDuffie and Carloftis. Our two high IQ playmaker guys are going to be just consistent guys, just relentless playmakers, just consistently there. Uh, guys on their film that are shown to be in the right place at the right time more times than not, knowing where to position themselves uh, to make plays on the ball. Um, and that th- those two picks right there are immediate guys that can be day one starters. Um, uh, Karloffis, I'm excited about that kid. That kid, everything, all the reports I've been seeing about him in the film combined with the reports, He's an engine guy. He's a motor guy. You know, he's a, he's a guy that's just nonstop, relentless, and that's what you want on the def- from a defensive end. May not may not have the most moves, may not have uh, the great first step speed, but as a guy that's always going to be there and has a nose for the ball. Uh, so I love that out of him. And then obviously Sky Moore. Uh, I honestly I forgot he was on the board when we drafted him. I really didn't. I did, I was thinking about receivers because we we both know we wanted a receiver yeah. there, but we didn't know who was really left in the mix. Uh, there was a couple guys that we knew, but. I didn't realize Sky Moore was still there, and I, I knew that name just from a lot of hype on the offseason with his um, his incredible hands and his ball tracking ability and his his um, route his route running. Uh, the numbers on him are pretty crazy. I posted it on the group, but I mean Matt Harmon, who, who is a guy that I um, who's an analyst for fantasy football that I go to a lot to you know picking and analyzing receivers that I would draft for my fantasy teams. But he also obviously the numbers are the numbers, regardless if we're talking fantasy or real life. These are the numbers. He ranks second among charted prospects in success rate versus man at 75%. 
and was 75.7% success rate against press coverage. <laughs> Led all prospects in success rate versus zone coverage, which is, which is what we struggled against the most last year. Uh, you know, the, the zone two, uh, two-man uh, uh, zone coverage, we, we were having trouble against that. He led all prospects in success rate versus zone coverage, 88.1%. Um, and he can play the inside and the outside. So he's a guy, a, a, an ultimate chess piece that you can move around offensively um, that will open up this offense. And he's really good with the ball in his hands after the catch. Incredible route runner, incredible incredible hands, which is what we've been missing. We were having too much drops last year. Um, so this is a guy I think that could come in and you just put him in wherever you want and move him around. Uh, he's going to be an immediate contributor. I think he's a polished guy already, ready to go to be an NFL ready wide receiver, especially this offense. I know it's going to take some time to learn the plays, yeah. but as far as ability and hands and just overall, uh, uh, um, you know, knowledge of the route tree. I think this kid is going to be an immediate impact player. I'm excited to see what he can bring to this offense. So we went, you know, the first two defensive players we went were like really high IQ guys, relentless, you know, playmakers. Then we get Sky Moore, the receiver. I didn't even realize was on the board. Love that pick so much. I'm excited to see that kid in this offense. And then we get the Bash Brothers with our two picks, last two picks so far. Um, you know, Brian Cook and, 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 and you know, Chanel. These guys are just guys that are just you're putting dudes in coffins, man. Like I, I was watching their film, I was like, Cook is just an absolute monster. Like he was out there just laying guys out. Um, just look like that throwback safety kind of feel. Like that, that that he's also really good in coverage. But this dude is one of those guys that you fear. He honestly uh, has a little bit of uh, uh, um, you know um, the guy we just signed, Reed. Uh, they're similar players. They're both really got really good at. at Laying guys out and finishing plays, making sure that they're not getting back up. They're laying guys out, and you know they're they're coming across the middle. Um, you know, if anyone's in their area, they're getting hands on them. That's the kind of vibe I get from Brian Cook, and I love that. That's going to bring a new aggressive vibe to the safety room. Um, just a guy that knows how to, to to lay the wood, knows how to put his head into the football and shoulder into the chest of these players. Um, excited to see that. And then Chanel, I was watching film on him. That guy's another bruiser. These are two bruiser guys, you know what I mean? So we got we got the balance of really high IQ, consistent guys, motor guys at the top, and then Sky Moore obviously with the offense, and then two more absolute bruisers, Bash Brother type players here um, to 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 uh, finish out these these last couple rounds of this draft. Um, excited, excited is ecstatic is the word for me. Um, I I think that we've nailed this draft from top to top to bottom so far, and I'm excited to see what depth we add here in these uh, these later rounds and what we possibly move up into to get um there's still a, a shit ton of talent in this draft uh, so i i mean i for me man personally i couldn't be more excited we've went heavy defense on this draft which is what we needed and we've also got a lot of great value on offense with sky Moore. um so i'm ecstatic man i'm excited to see what brett beach does today uh not not to add too much uh I was really happy with the two first picks in the first round. I've really watched a lot of film on both of them. Uh, I haven't really watched anything from the guys last night, but as to what I'm hearing you guys say and what I'm what I've been reading, we we really hit the hit the lottery. Well, Beach hit the lottery with these uh, three picks from yesterday, and then obviously we still got way more to come today. But with the first two picks. Uh, I don't have really any big concerns or any of them. Uh, like you said, they're all they're both day one starters, day one contributors, uh, and and they they showed it. Uh, I've seen their highlights and they're really they're really good. Uh, our, the corner that we drafted, he he's really good at the slot. He's re- he's really good at, at everything you need from a corner, which is exactly what these Chiefs were desperate desperately in need of. Uh, with uh, uh, 
award uh, going to the 49ers, yeah. you obviously had a big, big hole to fill yeah. there. So I'm happy that they chose to trade up and, and take what was best available for the corners at that moment in time. Uh, the only bang on to his game, which really it could be fixed within the first couple games, it, it, it's just him not being able to get away from the tackle. Once he once he gets engaged in that tackle with the receiver, he cannot get away from it. Mm. So that's one little thing that obviously can be fixed real easily. Uh, just hitting the gym and and uh, obviously doing your thing. So I'm not too concerned there because, like I said, that's an easy fix with Carl Loftus. The the amount of power that he pushes through that the the offensive line to get to the quarterback. Yeah. Yeah, he doesn't he doesn't uh, get in a lot of sacks. But he puts that pressure on the quarterback, which is what we need. That's what Chris Jones needs to help with. He just needs somebody to put help put the pressure to where he or Karloftis can now uh, finish the plays, which is what the Chiefs were desperately in need He's of. He's got a water, somebody, water polo wrestling background. Yeah, so, strong, somebody, so somebody that can finish those plays. And obviously, you, you got the fact that you're going to have Chris Jones on, on that line with you. So that helps elevate your skills and what you bring to this Chiefs te- uh, defense. Like I said, the only the – only, uh, uh, negative on his game is he relies way too much on his power. Once he gets stopped in the offensive line, he, it's really hard for him to get around it. But that's an easy fix. It's not nothing to be concerned or worry about. It's like I said, just hitting the gym a little bit more, putting a little bit more muscle, you should be good. He, there's there's really no concern with with that. Whatsoever. Just some more technique. He's got Ex- to learn some yeah, more technique. Uh, yeah. We can't bash these guys. They're just rookies coming out of college. Right. So I'm really, really excited what they can bring to this defense. And I'm glad uh, Brett Veach went out there and, and got defense first because that is our, our main fo- that, that That was our main fo- focus coming into this draft. Mm-hmm. Yes, I had us taking a wide receiver with our second pick in the first round, but I'm glad we didn't. I'm glad we waited to the, to the next round to take our receiver uh, because obviously we took best available at that moment in time. I know a lot of people were wanting pickings, but but this pick that we that we got, Sky Moore, sky's the limit, baby. Yeah, that's right, baby. Sky's the limit. What more and, could you ask exactly. for? Exactly. So and I and and what I've seen just this morning, a little bit of his tapes. Whew, like yeah. he, he <laughs> who was correct? Hands. Who? Kids got yeah, hands, he, dude. Yeah, uh, I believe he had the biggest hands biggest in the hands. combine, and he's five foot yeah. nine. Biggest hands in the combine. You know what big hands means? You know what that means? Big gloves. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I was thinking another thing. Oh, shit. No, but... You think about crabs? <laughs> yeah. I'm so, excited. I'm so excited to see him with Patrick Mahomes, man. What Patrick Mahomes can do with him is going to be magic. And we needed somebody like that uh, to come in and, and, and help with that cover zone that the Chiefs obviously struggle with. And him being one of the best uh, in this draft class at, at that kind of defense, yep. it, it's just... It's so exciting to see, and what can he bring to this offense? Obviously, you, with Patrick Mahomes, y'all you need is a little bit, and whew. and you got it. So that's the thing, man. Is that I, I I think that that I I would think you guys would agree with me on this that the adding the addition of Sky Moore 
really softens the blow of losing Tyreek now. And they didn't have to, once again, like I said earlier, they didn't have to use a first-round pick or trade up to get that type of replacement. They got him at 54. Well, what I like about this too, man, I just want to say this. Like, the last couple of receivers we've drafted, obviously like the McCall Hartmans, the Tyreek Hills. Exactly. The last two guys that have been like steady parts of this offense at receiver were project guys. Yeah. This is a true polished receiver that was arguably the best route run in this draft. Yeah. You know, and has the biggest hands and has some of the greatest hands in this draft. And obviously, I went over the route tree with you and his success against man coverage, press coverage, and then the best receiver in this draft against the zone, which is what we struggle with. So that is what excites me the most about this kid is he's a polished, ready to yes. ready to go receiver. He's yeah. not a he's not a returner. He's not a guy that we're gonna have to work with to be you know the receiver we want him to be. He's already that. Right. Yeah, he's you not know a mean? project. Lo- yeah, that's what I love about that. That's the last couple of guys we've drafted. You know, and even the you know uh, the Powells and guys like that just haven't worked out. They were never the the caliber of player that Sky Moore is, and I can't be more excited about it, man. Another thing I love is the fact that the Chiefs, although like I said, our my mentality. Or in Brett Veach's mentality of how we can build this defense was different. The Chiefs had a plan. This yeah. was a plan. We're going to build our secondary as strong and as versatile as we possibly can. And Karloftis, if he can just give us that lift, plus maybe going and signing a Melvin Ingram or a Jerry Hughes as a free agent a to get yeah, a rotational piece. Still happen, yeah. All of a sudden, yeah, all of a sudden the Chiefs have a very respectable pass rush. Would they still need work? Would it be a top-tier pass rush? No. But if you can get yourself bookend pass rushers with Karloftis as a rookie and like a Melvin Ingram, a Jerry Hughes, shit, even maybe both if you could afford it, then all of a sudden you're like you're talking about. You have Chris Jones in the middle. You have a motivated second or a motivated secondary to prove what they are as a young bunch. I still want to go you get still, another one. Yeah, you can still add a, a a defensive back, a veteran defensive back that's still available, maybe like a Kyle Fuller or somebody like that, just for depth. Then all of a sudden you're looking at a defense that is strong or at least respectable at worst at all three levels because we know the linebackers are gonna be strong as fuck this year. Mm. Nick Bolton already a proven commodity. Yeah. Willie Gay proven Stay commodity. Healthy. Yeah, you go and get yourself <laughs> Leo Chanel next to those guys. Yeah. All of a sudden you have have one of the most versatile athletic linebacking groups in the entire NFL. We went from Anthony Hitchens and Ben Neiman and Damian Wilson to these these cats? Oh, dude, just sign me up. And so I wanted to real quick, uh, we're going to have our guy Arrowhead Tom on in just a little bit, I think around noon. Uh, A a website that I really respect and a guy that I'm going to have on uh, our show very soon, uh, Chiefs Wire. Um, a guy, Charles Goldman, a guy I respect big time. He's a he's a great follow on Twitter. And they, Chiefs Wire has incredible content, man. I, I don't know why they don't get enough uh, publicity or enough respect. But these guys are always well in depth. I wanted to give you guys uh, Charles Goldman's uh, uh, grades and then my quick opinion on what Goldman thought and just some additional thoughts on these picks. So Trent McDuffie, he has him as a B grade. Uh, these are his quotes uh, from Trent McDuffie. Quote, the last defensive player that Kansas City drafted in the first round was uh, last defensive back player that the Chiefs drafted in the first round was Washington cornerback Marcus Peters. A few years later, they had taken another Huskies defensive back with the pension of and dis, uh, the pension for disrupting plays. He didn't allow a touchdown last season and only allowed 16 catches on 36 targets, according to PFF. I'm a fan of this pick, and I think that the Chiefs' kingdom is really going to like the way McDuffie plays. He gives it all on the football field, and he plays with a lot of heart. He reminds me of a Tyron Matthew in, a, in the sense that he's not going to be the biggest guy in the field, but he's going to compete like he is. He's also a really instinctive player, similar to Peters, and his, his instincts are often the right ones. I love how quick he is to close and make a tackle. I think the biggest qualm that people will have is, his, his, is, is the compensation giving up a third and fourth pick 
as well as the 29th. That's not too much when you have a dozen picks, but it's definitely more than most of us would have liked. If, look, end quote, by the way, if that's the only takeaway we can have that's negative on McDuffie, and like Eddie did bring up the fact that he's not the biggest guy and he struggles against big receivers, which is the majority of what cornerbacks struggle with, which is big receivers. Is will he be worth his draft capital? Yes. That's so yeah. sign me up. And again, I think it's going to make Chiefs fans, because we talk about the Sky Moore uh, comparison to like a Tyree Kill kind of player, and how that softens the blows of losing Tyree Kill, all the more reason why the addition of McDuffie should soften the blow of losing Tyron Matthew. Because if there are comparisons to the mentality and the work ethic and how he plays on the field, then you're essentially getting that plus more athleticism and about 10 years younger on the field in replacing of said Tyron Matthew. So the Chiefs knew what they were doing here. This makes sense as to why they didn't sign back Tyron Matthew because they had a, a goal in mind to replace him in this draft. And that is a championship mentality to have when you're replacing older and aging veterans with guys that can bring the same or something close to what they bring on a weekend and weekend basis for much cheaper and at much younger. And so... I absolutely love this pick, and 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 again, McDuffie is not a Spags kind of t- kind of corner. Spags likes usually bigger bigger corners, six foot and above. Yeah. That's why guys like Shavarius Ward flourished in this defense because he's a bigger corner. McDuffie's not that, but even on the smaller side, he can still be used on the outside of the numbers while also being confident on the inside, like you said, with the versatility. So although he may not be the norm or the status quo of what Spags gets, he can give Spags a lot of options on how he wants to use him. And that excites the living hell out of me, man. And uh, when it comes to George Karloftis, uh, uh, Gold, Goldman has, uh, has been an A-. minus. Goldman says, quote, While some moments I saw from George Karloftis on tape elicited flashbacks of Breland Speaks, there are a few things I really liked about this pick. The first thing that I liked about this pick was the value. The Chiefs didn't have to move up to get their guy at edge rusher. Right. Um, which makes which feels like a big win. They let the board fall and got a player that many considered among the top five pass rushers in this draft class. The second thing here I like here is that it, it, I, I like Garloftis's age. In a class that is loaded with older prospects due to COVID-19, Kansas City gets a kid who is just 21 years old and, and they get five years of control. If he makes it to contract number two with the Chiefs, they'll be stacking more good years during what should realistically be the prime of his career. If there's something I don't like about this pick, Garloftis is a power rusher, the team doesn't have much good speed off the edge right now and that feels like it could be problem potentially be problematic end quote now he's right about that the Chiefs do not have a quick edge rush right now and I, I was hoping that would be something they look at because Kayvon yeah. Thibodeau is the kind of guy is, that would do that yeah. but the Chiefs obviously weren't going to be able to get him because he was going to be at five I had the Chiefs drafting up to trading up to seven so the Chiefs weren't realistically going to get Kayvon Thibodeau the Giants clearly valued him for what he is which is going to be an elite pass Stunning. rusher in this yeah. league but I did listen to Lance Zerline yesterday a guy that is that is as well as in the know of the NFL draft as anybody and he has a pretty kicking kick-ass name Lance um he actually made a really good comparison because some people were comparing Karloftis to JJ Watt which is extremely high praise because that's one of the greatest defenders of all time mm. but I heard Lance Zerline make a comparison yesterday to uh Ryan Kerrigan the longtime Washington commander I love that. yeah holy shit if Karloftis can be Ryan Kerrigan a guy who has currently 99 and a half career sacks consistency who had four seasons of over 11 sacks in his mm-hmm. career a guy that never had under seven and a half sacks for his first nine seasons. Was a power guy and got a there. power guy. Yep. If Karloftis can be that, oh my God, sign me up! You got him at thirty. Mm-hmm. 
Trevor, you and I talked last week on the show about how you can't hope to go and get a premier pass rusher outside of the first round because if you look at the top half of all the best pass rushers in the league outside of Max Crosby, Max Crosby, who's a just a, 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 an exception to the rule in the fourth being, round. Being compared him to. Yeah. Which, by the way, exactly. Yeah. Uh, Karloftis did compare him to Max Crosby. Yep. Every single one of the best pass rushers, almost every single one of them, were found in the first round, and most of them in the top sixteen. So outside of T, outside of TJ Watt, the most most premier pass rushers you're finding in the first 16, 17 picks. And he was he was only second to uh, to Aiden Hutchinson in pressure rate. Yes, second, second, and and Aiden Hutchinson went second in the draft. Right. So so even people were undervaluing him to a sense. Yeah. I know Jacksonville was the only team that undervalued him because Aiden Hutchinson would have went to any of these other teams afterwards. Yeah. The point remains is that we're looking for sure things in this draft. And to me, Karloftis is one of those guys because also what I love about him is the fact that he's a guy that is all about the work. He's not one of these dudes that's just going to rest on, well, I'm talented as fuck. No, because honestly, compared to guys like Trayvon Walker and Tavon Thibodeau, he's not as talented as as they are. So he's the kind of guy that's going to bust his ass to get what he can get. I want a motor guy, and that's the biggest part of his game is that he's a motor dude, a dude that's going to be hell-bent to get pressure on the quarterback. And that's going to make the job of Chris Jones that much easier. Because if you're getting pressure on the outside, that out that right guard is going to have to start respecting that a little bit more, which opens up things on the inside where Chris Jones can get a one-on-one with the center, and he's just going to obliterate that guy. So it's beautiful what, what the Chiefs just got at 30 for Koloftis, and they stayed in the first round and got him at 30. They didn't wait for somebody in the second or third round. They went and got him when they knew he'd be there. I was listening to Brett Veach talk to him on the phone. He goes, hey man, we were paying attention the whole time, and you were a guy we were paying attention to. When you fell at 30, it was a common sense move. We had to take you. I love what this dude is. I know everyone's calling him the Greek freak. I'm calling him Greco, because it's a little bit more original and stays within the yeah, Greece yeah. realms, because he a, he's a he's from Athens, Greece originally. But I, again, I love the mentality this guy has, and it's rare. It's rare to have a guy that has the talent of a first-round pick and has the mentality of a winner before he ever wins anything. It's rare to get that. And I think that when you have guys like that, it's rare that they don't succeed. I think this dude is going to absolutely crush ass in the Spagnuolo's defense. And then we have Sky Moore. Obviously, Charles Goldman gives him an A an A grade. And this is I love I love what what Goldman says. He says, "Quote, fair warning, Moore is a draft crush of mine, so this is going to be a little bit of a homer take." Seems to be everybody's draft crush. <laughs> <laughs> I think this is a great player to match what the Chiefs already have at the wide receiver position. He wins with his route running, footwork, head fakes, and just generally having great knowledge of the game. Moore isn't the biggest receiver, but he catches everything that comes his way. Only three drops on 125 targets last season. He got he got solid 4.4 speed. I don't know how much we, he will contribute as a rookie, but being the Andy Reid system is notoriously hard to learn, but I do think he'll look back on this as a very good pick. I was, I was of the belief uh, this is this is actually something i was saying i was of the belief that chiefs were going to continue the trend of adding sizable receivers like i said earlier yeah. but sky Moore is anything but that 510 195 pounds more brings more of a tyreek than a juju to the mix and the speed of agility and getting off the line creates separation versus man coverage which is, should excite everyone but my favorite aspect of sky Moore's game is his reliable hands as charles talked about and his versatility in lining up in the slot and not losing any real production Again, think about this, guys. As a college player, 121 targets, only three drops? Like, that, that's absurd in college. Like, that sounds like a, like a top-tier pro-level player. Like, outside of DeAndre Hopkins, everyone has drops. Tyreek Hill, a guy we all love. What do you have, seven, eight drops last yeah. season? Yeah, it was too much last year. Yeah. So think about what Charles Moore, what Sky Moore is, is bringing to the equation. Sure, he's undersized. 
But like McDuffie, when he plays like the baddest motherfucker on the field, you forget about that stuff. And when you can produce, when you have these big-ass hands that are freaking buckets for the ball to fall into, all of a sudden that the size stuff doesn't matter. And Tyreek Hill, as great as he was, a lot of times the drops would cost the Chiefs. The last throw of Patrick Mahomes' season last year was what? A Tyreek Hill drop that fell right into the hands of a, of a defensive back for the, the Bengals. Yeah. I don't think that's going to happen with Sky He's got, got Tyreek athletic abilities. He's got DeAndre Hopkins hands with Keenan Allen routes. Like, that's pretty much what he is. <laughs> and, and here's the thing. I'm trying to stay realistic because I do believe that Goldman's correct on this. Mm. That his rookie year is probably going to be one of those, okay, he's really going to have to work his way into this offense. I don't know about but, that. But, but think about this. But, working, <laughs> but what, what is working his way into the offense? Not being the wide receiver one? Okay. Mm-hmm. Juju Smith-Schuster could be the wide oh, receiver yeah. one. Travis Kelsey could be yeah. the wide receiver one for a year. Mm-hmm. I'm okay with it. It's not like Sky Moore's walking into an offense where he has to be the man. Mm-mm, right yeah. now, he's wide receiver three. Travis Kelsey is a glorified wide receiver. Yeah, yeah. He's led the league in receiving yards since 2016, and Juju Smith-Schuster is a walking 1,200 yards, nine touchdowns. You already have those two guys there. And Sky Moore doesn't even have to be the immediate deep threat because you have McCall Hardman and you have MVS. That's not, that's not even really what he is, though. He's not the most. He's not the, his nine route was his worst route. Right. So that, not necessarily that he can't get better at that, but that's not what he's. He's not coming in to be a deep threat. He's mm-hmm. coming in to be a full package. Right. You know, X ca- X guy as zone. Yeah, guy that's the beating zone, the yeah. beating the two man. You know, what I mean, that's incredible. That's why I kind of compared his route running abilities to Keenan Allen because that's who Keenan Allen's been his whole career. Right. A guy that's not going to burn you a lot. He's not the most athletic guy. Um, but Sky Moore is very athletic compared to Keenan Allen. But his route running ability, balance. his ability to beat man and get you over the middle and zig and zag and his yeah. ability to create space is what reminds me kind of a Keenan Allen X uh, type of receiver. And then Charles Goldman goes on with Brian Cook. Uh, is, uh, is Tom with us? All right, we'll, we'll get to him in just a second. Tom, hang with us. I just want to get to Brian Cook real quick, what Charles Goodman said. He said, quote, this is the enforcer that the Chiefs lack in the secondary. After offseason departures, Cook plays fast, hits hard. He's a natural leader in the secondary. He has the gas that lit the fire for a Cincinnati Bearcats defense that was one of the better units in the nation last season. I think the one big question with Cook is his long speed and matching up against slot receivers. He's big and physical, enough to handle tight ends and running backs and the out, out of the backfield, but I think he could take some time adjusting to the shiftier guys in the NFL. Unquote. Gave him a B-plus on that because of the value of the draft I love, selection. I love his film, man. This is the kind of guy I talked about with Spags being the guy that, get, that utilizes his talents and turns him into an NFL player. It's going to probably take him some time, but the beautiful thing is, like I said, with the versatility that they already have at second in the secondary, he's not going to have to come in day one and be the guy. Yeah. They already have Justin Reed. They already have Juan Thornhill is on a prove-it notice right he's now. He's that, on he's notice. He's got that Ed Reed about him, though. He's got that, I'm going to put everything on you bro like he's this ability to be there and make those timely tackles and square up and hit the guy the right way and lay guys out it just reminded me of like those ed reed kind of hits on his film and i was loving every second of it well we are privileged and honored to have a guy that we've had on the show before and i was so excited to get him back because this is a dude that knows what he's talking about and there's not many of us that do so let's give it up for the co-host of the kingdom says podcast mr arrowhead tom how we doing today tommy Hey, I'm doing great. I uh, think I'm with the rest of Chiefs Kingdom and saying I've really enjoyed the picks that Brett Veach has made so far. So, um, yeah, excited to talk about them and see what the rest of the draft holds. But, man, it's exciting for this this Chiefs defense to to get the facelift that's needed for a while now. 
Well, let's get right to it, Tom, because this is what I said last week on our draft prediction show. Although it went a lot different in how I saw the Chiefs structuring their defense, I knew that they had to go strong on defense in this draft because they were so conservative in free agency. They didn't upgrade their pass rush at all. In fact, it got worse because as it currently stands, Melvin Ingram is not on the defense. Maybe he will be. Maybe a Jerry Hughes, somebody like that will be here in time to come. But... The Chiefs went out and they solidified the biggest areas of needs on the team. Not just the defense, period. They went and got themselves a wide receiver yesterday. They've added linebacker. They've added safeties. They've added corners. They've added edge rush. To me, Brett Veach has done an incredible job at identifying not just talent, but areas of need and has not been afraid to go out there and get his guys, whether it's trading up like he did for McDuffie or trading back for a guy like Sky Moore. I love what I've seen. I know, Tom, you've already said it, but I want to, I want you to really go into detail here, man, what you've seen in the first five picks from the Chiefs draft. Yeah, so and Brett Veach has talked about this a lot too in his in his pressers the last couple of days is like he's picked guys that are really good values for where they were at. Um, I know that the first move of the draft, the Trent McDuffie one, felt like like a classic Brett Veach. Like, oh, are you kidding me? Like, you trade up, Reach. you get a corner when when Jermaine Johnson's on the board, you're probably not going to take an edge to the you know fifth round. It's going to be some <laughs> 300 pound guy who played you know defensive tackles until last week. That you're going to convert, right? That's that's what it felt like. Um, Trent McDuffie is a is a stud of a player. Um, I know everyone's going to talk about the height. If he was, if he was, you know, an inch taller, and his arms were, you know, two inches longer, people would wouldn't even be like. That's the only thing I've heard negative about him. That's really the only thing you know negative you can find about him is, mm. well, he's a, he's a little bit small. I said, but he does everything else you want right. Um, I think the, the NFL.com guys compared him to Jair Alexander out of um, Green Bay, and I love that comp for him. Um, there's some other guys that, that, like, make some sense, but I think that's, like, he's just such, like, he has such that alpha mentality as a cornerback that um, you just, you love to see it, and, and he's, he's a great value for, for where they where they got him. Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm all in on McDuffie, Carl Loftus, I like, that one again is like that. This it felt so inevitable. Like that is the most Chiefs defensive end in this draft, mm-hmm. um, you know. But at the same time, there were talks a week ago of maybe having to trade up for him, having to. So like being patient and not not taking him at twenty one, uh, not wasting draft capital to get up and, and you know in front of a couple people and, and panicking. I felt like they had a a good plan there, and if Carl Optus had come off the board, they would have had somebody else that they would have would have went after and, and had another plan so i think that's a big difference from we can see kind of how brett veach has grown versus one of his first drafts where he did kind of panic traded up didn't get a guy he really really wanted um you know so that's that's interesting to me to see that you know he's he's able to be patient more especially at some of those like you said these are positions that are not just needs these are glaring needs these are is Mike Dana going to be your third down pass rusher kind of guy? Like, that's tough. That's a tough sell. Um, and then, obviously, the Sky Moore pick was was an interesting one. Um, I know, just watching Twitter, everyone's talking, George Pickens, George Pickens, George Pickens. I'm just going, man, you guys <laughs> like him too much. It's not going to happen. <laughs> uh, and I was just like, there's just kind of feeling in the back of my head. I'm like, man, I, it just feels like Sky Moore makes too much sense you know both of them being there at, at 50 and then they move back and going okay they're they're playing the board they're going to see what's you know what's left they probably had them graded pretty similarly um and 
for right, especially for right now, I think Sky Moore offers a, a, a higher floor, but also gives you something a little bit different than what you have uh, in the wide receiver room right now. So, you know, the guys that they went out and got, you know, Juju is, is 6'1", um, you know, MVS is, I think, 6'2", or 6'3", and then McColl's, you know, the speed guy, 5'11". Uh, Sky Moore is a technician at, you know, about 5'10". I think they're being a little generous, but he's also got, you know, baseball mitts for hands, and he catches everything, and he's going to, I mean, he just, he had one of the best 10-yard uh, splits, I think, in the, in the draft, so, like, he, his burst off the line, he's going to he's gonna beat whatever press or whatever, um, you know, coverage there is initially, those quick slants and stuff, that's going to be money all day for him, so, um, and then, you know, I thought Brian Cook was probably the the pick that I was like, eh, okay, yeah, that makes sense. Um, you know, it was a good pick, good value for where he's at. Like, they they I think they probably had they're probably a little higher on him than others, um, and he's got some room to grow. So I think this past year was his first year of actually like being a full time starter. Um, and then I have to confess that the Leo Chanel pick I didn't do much work on Leo. I was like, that's not really a fit they're probably gonna want somebody who's more of a cover guy that you know like i was like you know i've heard some good things about him from people i liked um goodness gracious i watched him last night and uh you know watched more of him and that dude is like terrifying and he tweeted out like the uh the pros and cons of, of leo chanel is he plays you know plays aggressive hits hard all that stuff and then the cons are he might at some point actually get arrested for murdering somebody <laughs> and, and end up missing a couple of games because he is violent and he said that in his press conference so just being the the most violent guy on the field um i'm pretty yeah i was pretty excited to see that and that linebacking core who, you know now you have a young group um who can run together and grow together and that's the other point i'll make about this draft class so far the oldest player they've drafted is Brian Cook at 22, uh, 22 years and six months. Everybody else is a 21-year-old kid. They're going to be – a couple of them will turn 22 before the start of the season. But especially in a draft class with a lot of older players because of the COVID year, you have – they've stuck to, you know, really finding some guys who, who have room to grow and to develop and have some upside. And that's really exciting for me just as a – from a team building and philosophy – yeah, from a philosophy approach. Yeah, to add to the Chanel – the Chanel talk uh, when it comes to well, hopefully he doesn't commit murder because if he does, then you know obviously that was a waste of a pick. But you know maybe it'll be uh, complimentary to the Chiefs defense moving forward when it comes to a big game or something. No, I'm just kidding. But no, uh, Kent Lee Platt on uh, Twitter at Math Bomb, he said that Leo Chanel uh, scored a 9.99 RAS out of a possible 10 which ranks him three out of 2,419 linebackers from 1987-2022. So the Chiefs are giving themselves a very efficient linebacker as well with the versatility of being able to move from strong side to being a Mike linebacker in case of injury. So I, I, I'm not trying to put too much on him because I don't know if he's going to end up ever becoming a, a true NFL linebacker because these are guys that I think that Spags is going to have to experiment with and see what he can get out of them. Same with Brian Cook. But what I love about him is these guys are, are physical freaks. Like you said and like we've been saying leading into this uh, segment, 
is that the Chiefs are going after guys that are that have extreme talent and trusting their coaching staffs to go and get the most out of these guys. Because after the first round, and Tom, you know this better than we do, after the first round, you're, it is a crapshoot. Sure, the second round you can find tons of great players. We've seen that throughout history. Third round, same. But after that, man, it's, it's, it's flyer picks. And I think that's what the Chiefs are doing is they're giving themselves the ability to go out and get the most out of guys they see have a ton of potential physically and young. Like you said, Brian Cook, the oldest player they got, was 22 years old. I was big on Arnold Ibikidi, I believe that's how you say his name, 23 years old already out of Penn State. So that was an older player I was looking at. Not a negative thing, but not mm-hmm. something that you want to see maybe get a second year, a second op, a second contract to when he's 28, 29 years old. Guys like Carl Loftus, as guys from like Charles Goldman was saying from Chiefs Wire, you're going to resign him at 26 years old if he's that guy that you yeah. want to keep, and that's incredible value, especially when you got him at 30. So, I, I, I said before the show, and I've said on the show that I wanted to see edge rush be the number one objective defensive line to be the number one objective the chiefs clearly see safety and corner as the way to build their defense right now i know you're a big sauce gardener guy so you're you're clearly on that that idea as well how do you think moving forward the chiefs are going to build the defense because i still think they're going to take more defensive players in this draft and then probably add in melvin ingram or jerry hughes as training camp is coming about how do you see the moving moving forward in this draft Man, that's it's almost hard to predict, but I but I agree. I think that they're trying to build out that secondary. They've got some contracts expiring next year. Juan Thornhill's a free agent. Um, I think Rashad Fenton is also heading to free agency. So you you've got to kind of think about the future a little bit there. Um, there are some guys left. Uh, I'm a big Zion McCollum fan, and then Tariq Woolen is a guy who, like, if you take him, you're if you if you can keep him off the field as much as possible for a year, as counterintuitive as that sounds. Uh, he's so raw, but just athletically has, he's a unicorn in that, in that sense. Um, I expected him to be gone, but I think the NFL sees that he's not, um, he's probably not a, you know, guy who's ready to play day one. And in a class where there's a lot of kind of experienced polished players, I think they've, a lot of teams have gone that way, but, um, yeah, Tariq Wollen is six foot four and ran a four, four, two, six. So. When you're six inches taller than Tyreek Hill and almost as fast as Tyreek Hill, you should get drafted pretty early. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think I think that there's a really good chance they grab another corner. There's a couple guys, uh, a couple more guys out there that I like that I'm just kind of blanking on. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me also to see a defensive tackle added. I think that's going to be kind of a big, a big piece of things. They brought back Derek Nadi, um, you know, Chris Jones. His again another guy who I think next year's um, the last year of his current extension and that's going to be a decision for the Chiefs right that's a that's a player that at one point there were really strong rumors that they were going to trade um you know Chris Jones and I I would be surprised if they did that uh just because I think they've learned really how to use him and embrace him but um that, that's a that's another contract they have to work out so getting some depth behind him I think is going to be pretty pretty crucial for them and there's a couple guys that um I don't know if they fit that Chris Jones mold, but they they fit in that that slot maybe next to him. I think of um, Neil Farrell Jr. out of LSU is one of my personal favorites. Like, just a guy who, um, as the to steal a line from again from the NFL guys, I think it was Chad Reuter who wrote him up. He said, you know, he, his reputation is he makes it hard on every offensive lineman next to him, or just a guy who eats up space and engages blockers and and has a high motor. Um, at like 6'2", 330 pounds. So I, I agree with you. I, I'm hoping they'll add especially some more depth across the, the defensive front there. 
It looks like, uh, according to reports, that Brett Veach is going to try to move up uh, closer into the fourth round. I believe the fourth round's going right now mm-hmm. as we're recording this. You got that fifth round pick, I believe, from the Patriots. It maybe, maybe stays at fifth in the fifth round because they didn't have a fifth round beforehand. Uh, don't currently have a sixth, and I think they have four seventh round picks still. If the Chiefs were to take another three or four or five players in this draft, again, I've been preaching defense, and I think that's imperative because although Patrick Mahomes is always going to have this offense in the top five, top ten throughout his career as long as he is who he is, his his Super Bowl success is going to hinge on how great his defense is and giving him an opportunity to not have to be Superman every single game, every single quarter, every single play of every single drive. He's got to have that support on the other side of the ball. But with saying that, I'm not opposed to the Chiefs on the back end of this draft adding a couple more players on the on the offensive side either. Primarily, maybe even running back. We're seeing a lot of running backs fall late into this draft. And yeah. I value running back a little bit more than others. I don't think it's extremely important. It's like the linebackers of the offensive line. Of the offense, rather. I still think that there's value there. And signing Rojo this offseason was nice. I think Clyde mm-hmm. edwards has still some promise and still a, some opportunity to be a really good player for this offense if he can stay healthy. Mm-hmm. But I'm not opposed to the Chiefs going and getting a running back later in the draft, adding another wide receiver later in this draft. If there was an offensive, uh, even tackle, I mean right tackle right now, they have Andrew Wiley, uh, injured Lucas Niang. They added Christian from uh, the Texans last year. I would like to see them add some offensive line as well, but in your opinion, Tom, on the offensive side, where would you like to see them attack with the next four or five picks? Yeah, so I went. I just did some some looking and, and just watching. You mentioned a running back. One of the guys I really like just went off the board to the Chargers, of course. Um, in fact, the Raiders and Chargers just went back-to-back, you know, um, running backs. Um, the wide receiver position is a little tough right now. There's not a lot of guys that are going, oh, yeah, that's he's going to be – um, he's going to be a, a really exciting guy to grab. Um, Khalil Shakir out of Boise State is a guy who I, his flashes, his highlights are really nice. Uh, you just worry about his ability ability to like be an actual NFL player. Um, he's pretty versatile, but I just sometimes he just looks super weak and just like sloppy, uh, for lack of a better word. And I think that has more to do with him getting moved off his spots through his route than it does. Uh, his actually his actual ability as a player, uh, but he's also somebody who you know again just from reports like really really well liked kid, really you know good team player that kind of stuff. Um, Isaiah Weston that was the other guy I was just thinking of. I had to pull up the list. Uh, out of Northern Iowa, if you're looking for a guy like to develop, I think he's I think he had a um, a really high a really high RAS score. Um, bigger guy ran. A ridiculous forty time if I remember right. I think he's well, yeah six three, um, six three and a half ran a four point four two, um, you know forty with a forty inch vertical. So he's probably a, maybe a guy that if they hold on to that fifth round pick, I uh, would be surprised if he goes here in the fourth. I I think there's more value at offensive line right now than there is uh, wide receiver. So not to you know jump from that, but yeah, there's definitely some offensive line guys that I think. Um, I would prioritize over a receiver at this point. And they, the Chiefs do have bodies on their line. So um, the one guy, the, um, I, I'm going to slaughter his first name, uh, Vidarian Lowe out of Illinois. I believe they had a top visit with him, or they visited him with the, at the combine, the Chiefs did. He's an offensive tackle. Um, he's a he's an interesting guy. Probably he could come in and probably put, a, put up a fight for that 
right tackle spot, um, you know, through camp and, and just be a guy that they, they might give a shot. And then probably at the worst, I think year two, you could um, count on him to be at least an average starter. He doesn't have the hugest, you know, the highest ceiling, but he's, he's just a solid, like just one of those guys who just yep, shows up, does his job, solid all the way around. Yeah, like, you know, you'd be lucky to have him because he's better than half the guys in the league, but you may always try to replace him because he's, you know, about that middle spot. So, uh, Definitely some value still on the board, though. Well, moving out of the draft and actually looking at the free agency pool remaining, I'm kind of putting you on the spot here, Tom, because I know we're here to talk draft. But there are some names out there. I've, I've been talking Melvin Ingram, Jerry Hughes. Uh, there's other guys out there that, that could be a free agent acquisition for the Chiefs. Is there anybody that's on your board right now that you'd like to see the Chiefs add around training camp? Because we know these veterans, they don't want to go out there and bust their ass in that summer heat. They want to just get signed mm-hmm. and go play football because they keep themselves in shape. But – are there some names out there that you think the Chiefs can add, get a veteran minimum here or there, mm-hmm. add them to the equation and, and, and make a difference on the defense or offense? Yeah, and the Chiefs should have, you know, a little bit of cap space um, as my dog and cat make an appearance behind me. Uh, <laughs> they, they wanted to be on the show. but It's all good. They, they, should, they should have some cap space um, to pick up some guys. I'm interested to see what players get released after the draft. There's always like that, like, right before training camp or just random, you know, uh, it was a couple of years ago when Tyron Matthew was a free agent, you know, before before the season and the Chiefs almost brought him in um, before the 2019. I think there's always one of those big, like that's one of the biggest what-ifs, uh, certainly in the Brett Veach area, but, in, but maybe in all of, you know, the Chiefs history. Uh, if they had him on that 2019 team and that defense was just a little bit better. <laughs> um, man, so I, I think that Brett Beach is probably, you know, preparing for that. Um, the guy I'm always like, why don't we just pick him up and see what we can get out of him is, is Jadavian Clowney. Um, you know, not a, not, no one's really excited about him anymore, but man, just I, I still go back to those athletic tools. And if you just give him, you know, this is your job as a pass rusher. This is your job, you know, give him limited responsibilities and just let that athlete be on the field and, and make plays when he needs to make plays. Like, to me, that's worth, especially as a rotational guy, which, I think he sees himself as a starter and wants to be paid like a starter, so maybe there's a disconnect there. But, I mean, at this point in the season, if you've got the money, a one-year deal is, you know, you throw it at him and you go, all right, well, we'll see whatever, however it works, we'll make it work. But um, that's always a guy that I'm interested in. But I think that there'll be some, some value guys who end up hitting the market, um, especially, yeah, the uh, hopefully. Yeah. We'll see if the defensive line players end up out there, but um, maybe even some wide receivers who end up, you know, on the trade market, we see everyone wants to get paid. Um, the Chiefs have been, you know, in talks. I don't know if you guys have seen that. Hollywood Brown said that the Chiefs were one of the teams that had tried to trade for him. So um, I, I would be surprised if the Chiefs were completely out of the wide receiver conversation just because the guys they have right now are on, like, you know, the cheaper one-year deals. And I think they still – would feel comfortable if they had like an actual established kind of superstar in that room and they don't really have that right now um so we'll see we'll see how that plays out but i can't yeah jadavian clown is the name i'll throw out there i am excited to see what what guys become available after the draft and as we get closer to training camp when it comes to the current chiefs players some of the veterans there's a lot of prove-it deals on this roster we know that Frank Clark essentially on a one-year deal, prove-it deal. Uh, Chris Jones essentially has one year left. Uh, the Chiefs can get out of that contract after this season and save a lot of money. Uh, we're looking at uh, Juan Thornhill. 
Cole Hardman, Juju Smith-Schuster, even Justin Reed and MVS, who have uh, technically longer-term deals, the Chiefs can get out of those pretty early. So there's a lot of veteran players on this team that not only are seeing these young, talented guys across the board coming in and could potentially replace them or outplay them or get more snaps out of them than them, I still feel that there's a, a great motivating factor here for these guys to play at their best because at worst, mm -hmm. they're playing somewhere else and maybe get themselves a contract somewhere else. That excites me, Tom. That's something I really yeah. like, and I think every team should have that motivation to have one-year deals. Because uh, in the NBA, players love having one-year deals because it gives them mobility. In the NFL, you want to have long-term deals. You want to be able to say, yeah. I got guaranteed dollars. Uh, this team's got to pay for you for the next three to five years. The Chiefs don't have a lot of guys like that outside of Patrick Mahomes and even Travis Kelsey. So I, I really like what, what what I'm seeing, but of all these one-year deal players, prove-it deal, deal guys, what are you expecting from them? In particular, guys like McCole Hardman, Frank Clark, Chris Jones, Juan Thornhill, Juju. What are you expecting from these guys? Yeah. Um, I So I especially love the way the, the wide receiver room is, is set up because essentially you have those three guys on one-year deals, McColl, Juju, and MVS, and you're kind of just saying, eh, one of you is going to have to stick. And so there's kind of that, you know, um, internal, like, competition. At least you'd hope that that's what you're reading, right? right? Like, I don't think this wide receiver room is, you know, how they want it to look long-term in Kansas City. I think that they have different, you know, ideas and different um, plans for it. And um, sorry, one of my monitors just died. <laughs> it's <was> interesting. So <laughs> um, yeah, I think that they they've got that you know that idea of like, hey, you've got to compete, you've got to earn your spot here. Um, and so it's to me personally, I look at it a lot as like McColl versus MBS, right? Those are two kind of similar you know players in terms of stylistically speedy deep threats. Um, and and I think that is like I think McColl's the guy that they're looking going, dude, like. We were going to hand you a bigger role years ago when we brought you in. Um, you know, it worked out differently. And, um, yeah, I just, like, it's it's one of those situations where they um, they have to – somebody has to step up so they can fill up that room. Um, and then same thing on defense. Like, Juan Thornhill is a guy um, who just hasn't looked the same since that injury. I've been uh, – you know, my, my co-hosts always give me grief because I'm, I'm a little lower on Thornhill than I think some others are. Um, he's that guy who just, like, he just as much as maybe Dan Sorensen, he's like, all right, he's like half a step behind, you know, um, which, like, great effort. But if you're half a step behind, you're still half a step behind. You know, you're still behind. I guess maybe Dan Sorensen was like two or three or four or eight steps behind sometimes. But, you know, it's like – just because you lose by a little doesn't mean you're losing. It's better than losing by a lot in yeah. that sense, especially in the NFL. Um, and I, I think of a couple of specific plays with Juan, who I'm just like, you're almost there. And it's not that he's not the athlete. Some of it has to do with his, his processing speed. But, um, yeah, it's just one of those – there's a lot of players in this team who have to kind of earn their keep as, as things are getting turned over and as the roster changes. So. Any concerns from you about an Orlando Brown Jr. contract extension happening this offseason because he doesn't have any representation. He is doing his own agency work, if you will. 
We haven't heard anything. Uh, I'm optimistic. I think that based on the draft alone, the fact that the Chiefs didn't take a tackle early, uh, they didn't really do anything this offseason to bolster their offensive line because they're pretty confident. And obviously Joe Tooney, Creed Humphrey, Trey Smith, they they believe in Andrew Wiley as a right tackle replacement for now when Lucas Nian gets healthy, if he does get healthy. But, but there is something to be said about the fact that we don't see any traction yet. I do expect it's going to happen on June, July when training camp really starts to get get closer and closer. What are your thoughts right now as far as Orlando Brown Jr.? Um, I think he'll be a chief. I think that they've made that pretty clear. I, it always makes me nervous when players are representing themselves just because sometimes they make boneheaded decisions, but I think we've seen more often than not that those have been, you know, the players maybe not getting as much money as they could have in the past, you know, so um, I think they're going to work with them. They may drag out for a little bit. They may wait for him to actually, you know, decide to hire a um, an agent. So, so we'll see how it all goes, but um, I, I have no, like, doubts that Orlando Brown is going to be a team. Like, long term. Yeah. Well, Tom, look, man. We appreciate all the time you give us, and and yeah, you're one of those people tough. out there. I, I said before the show, I said during the show, there's a lot of guys out there that like to know, like to pretend like they know what the what's going on in the draft. But I, you're one of those guys, man, and you actually nailed it if you think about it, because you said that the Chiefs should have went after Sauce Gardner. Obviously, he was a top four pick, mm-hmm. so the Chiefs weren't realistically going to get him. But it's the position, and it's knowing yeah. that the defense needed to be upgraded. And you were one of those guys that were out there preaching cornerback. You preach that the defense needs to be where the Chiefs go and upgrade. And that's exactly what happened. And that is why you're here with us today, my man, because you're a dude that I respect and trust when it comes to the knowledge of how to build this team. And we appreciate what you do over at the Kingdom Says Podcast. And more than anything, man, we appreciate your time and coming up here and dropping knowledge. And more, hey, honestly, more than even that, you let us see your cat and dog. That's fucking yeah. awesome, dude. We appreciate yeah. that. Yeah, so they looks like my my, uh, my dog made a little escape, and my little brother just went to round them up. So you got to see that you got the bonus content of all of that happening in the background. Uh, we got the so the yeah, whole Arrowhead Tom here. experience. Uncut. Yeah, we're over here just watching the draft, hanging out, and uh, yeah, the, the cat and dog are here. So he, my little brother's been tasked with keeping them under control, and um, he's going to get a draft grade. He's going to get a, one of those mean draft day grades. Uh, <laughs> Uh, but no, thanks for having me, guys. It's always a treat, um, you know. And um, I've already started on some twenty twenty three guys, so when, when you're it. ready to talk the twenty twenty three draft, you know where to find me. Let's go, um, let's go. and yeah, that's when that's when you know what's inside you. That's when you know it's built inside you to do this. When you're already looking at yeah. next year's dra- draft, yeah, that's I amazing. A couple man. Weeks ago, I was like, all right, twenty twenty two is boring. Like, let's just keep moving. Uh, <laughs> that's so this year, you know. Yeah, that's so <laughs> this year. Uh, we'll see what happens. Um, well. The- so that yeah, is no, that is Arrowhead Tom. Hey, Casey native now. By the way, he's now part of the 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 Casey family. Welcome. We still haven't hung out yet. I don't know what's up with that, bro. I mean, yeah. I guess he's too cool for us, you know. As Kingdom says, guys. <laughs> that's that's definitely our brand. Too cool for. <laughs> Dude, we got enough of that out here. Okay, we don't, we don't need you bringing that energy out here. We we want we want friends. You know, we want we yeah, want unison. No. no, anytime, man. Anytime you you've got my number. You know, just holler or just. That's- you know, at me on Twitter. I'll respond on that. You guys know I spend too much time on that thing. So Hell yeah, you and me both. Yeah. Well, that's Arrowhead Tom, Kingdom Says Podcast. Go give them a follow, guys. They, they know what they're talking about. They're awesome dudes. They're down to earth. And they're in KC, baby. So, Tom, thank you so much again, brother. Give them a follow, guys. Thanks, guys. Thank you. All right. Give it up for our guy, Tom, man. That was awesome. Dude. I really appreciate Tom, man, so much today, man. That was awesome. Thank you so much, Tom. 
I, I feel like we can just keep going on and on and on. I know the Chiefs are about the uh, they're about six five picks. or six picks away, yeah, from making a selection. So I'm really excited about that. Uh, I think am I hear myself still? Yeah, okay, we're good. Yeah, it was on the head. So. Okay, <laughs> I was like, I know, I'm, I know, I don't got voices in my own head, and it's my own voice. No, nah, but Tom made some really good points, man. I, I, I like, I like where Tom comes from on some of these things. He, he brings reality to the situation because you know, Chiefs make a, a selection, we're automatically assuming the best of these players. Of or if you're on the negative side, you're just assuming the worst. Tom, guys like Tom, Jay Beakley, people like that, they always bring that. That 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 balance. semblance, yeah, the balance to the equation where you know we need that, and I think that Tom made some really good valid points about McDuffie and what Karloftis can bring because those are the two guys we're looking at the closest because those are the first round picks. But uh, after he's talking about when he was he was looking at uh, 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 Brian Jones when he was looking at. Um, uh, Leo Chanel. When he was looking at these other guys, I'm sorry, Brian Cook. I said Brian. Brian Cook. When he was looking at Leo Chanel, he didn't really do a lot of film study on these guys because he didn't really know those would be guys the Chiefs were looking at. And then he sees them and he goes, "Oh, I kind of see where they're coming from. I kind of understand now what they were looking at, and they were high on these guys for this particular reason." And I think that should excite Chiefs fans because we think we have such an idea of what the Chiefs are looking at, and then we see them take a guy that we weren't expecting in a position we weren't expecting, and then it starts to click. Oh, this is what the Chiefs are doing in this draft. Oh, this is why they decided to be conservative in free agency because all these guys on the draft board, they thought the other teams are going to undervalue them, and if they did overvalue them, we're just going to snip up and, like Trevor said, snipe them before you guys get an opportunity to grab them. So I really love the, the mentality the Chiefs are going with. I have, I literally have no idea what they're going to do in the fourth round. I have no idea if they're going to stay in the fifth. And I, I will have no say, idea I will say, yeah, I will say the running backs and tight ends have been the, tr the trend in this round so far. There's been four of each gone. They fell back so far. Yeah. For the first time in NFL history, no running back or tight end was taken in the first round. Yeah. That's never happened. They're before. going like crazy right now, which kind of sets up the Chiefs to grab another nice defensive player here yeah. in the fourth round. Nice, like like Tom was saying, defensive tackle. I wanted to see the Chiefs get a defensive I have tackle. Draft and a tackle. Yep. So that'd be a really good opportunity, man. But yeah, like I said, thanks to Tom. Go follow them, guys. Kingdom says podcast. They put out great content. Very knowledgeable guys. Him and Kyle Garrett, those dudes, man. They they know what they're talking about. Shit, you think we do, man? You go follow those guys. You'll have yourself a great experience. That's why we like to have them as friends and uh, people to follow. So go ahead and do that guys but in the meantime eddie let's get to your eddie hour man let's get some questions i know i know eddie's got some out of the out of the nfl realm questions as he always does what's going on man trying to i guess uh, but i want to stick in the nfl just because it's draft uh obviously there's more than just the Chiefs drafting obviously this weekend so as we've seen that uh with the seahawks uh uh drafting they truly believe in Drew Locke. Is this a good move from from the Seahawks, or should they have draft, or should or should they draft a QB, or have drafted a QB? Well, at this point, I mean, this this was one of the poorest quarterback draft classes in a long time. In fact, the first quarterback to go was Kenny Pickett mm -hmm. at twenty. That was the longest they had gone in in the draft of taking a quarterback in the first twenty selections since nineteen ninety seven. Yeah. So that hasn't happened in a very long time. So that tells you how poor this draft class is. I was surprised that Malik Willis didn't go a little sooner. But I understood why people were waiting just to kind of see like where the draft fell, and obviously the value of him was dropping. So teams could you know look at one of these guys as a flyer. Dinner was one of those. Dinner or whatever his last name is yeah. went a little later as well. Um, I don't think it's so much that the Seahawks believe in Drew Locke. I think it's the fact that they knew they were out of the Russell Wilson business and they had to get what was best, and they knew that they can get him as a trade asset. The thing about Drew Locke is, is he's got talent. 
And he can he can go out there and make a couple big throws like a Tyler Lockett or a DK Metcalf because he's got hell of receivers out there. Plus, Noah Fant joins him from Denver. So yeah. he's got plenty of weapons on the offensive side. I don't think it's so much, though, that Seattle wants him to be their long-term answer. I think that they didn't really have another choice. Because outside of maybe trading for a Baker Mayfield, which for some damn reason the Browns are holding on to him thinking they're going to get draft value out of Baker Mayfield, which clearly is not going to happen because if it was, it would have already happened. Yeah. I think the Seahawks are just realizing, like, hey, this is just one of those years where we just kind of have to tough through it, hope for the best. Maybe Drew Locke does become something out here. Am I expecting that? No, I'm not expecting that. But to be honest with you guys, I think Drew Locke's in a better situation than he was with Denver. Because although Cortland Sutton and Tim Patrick and Jerry Judy and those guys are talented assets, I think we all would agree that he went to a better situation with court, with wide receiver alone. With Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf plus Noah Fan as his tight end, I think he's in a better situation. Situation for an opportunity to prove himself, and they did resign Geno Smith as his backup quarterback, and that's a guy I think they do like. Yeah. I think Geno Smith is somebody they do believe in, and Geno's only thirty years old, so maybe Geno Smith ends up winning the job. There's no guarantee Drew Locke is even their starting quarterback. Is he more talented than Geno? Maybe, but I think that right now they're looking at their quarterback position as just a salvageable situation until next year's draft or a quarterback they can maybe sign next year. Who's to say that maybe they can even can fin- figure out a way to trade within their own division and get a Jimmy Garoppolo? There's opportunities out there. None of them are great. That's why I think they're sticking to who they have. Yeah, I got, I'm going to say the same thing about Geno Smith. I, I don't think there's any promise that that this job is locked up by lock. You know, what I mean, I, I think, I think that, I think that, hey, I think there's definitely a QB <laughs> comp- competition there. I think Geno played fairly well uh, in the spot fill he did for for Russ when he was hurt. So, I, and I think I, I don't know. I, I I don't think this is a good quarterback position for the Seattle Seahawks either way. Both these guys are mistake prone guys. Uh, so. I think they could go with the, the, the trusted veteran and Geno Smith. I, I thought they should have taken a chance on Malik Willis. I thought that would have been a good move for them to, to get a, a, you know, a mobile guy that has a cannon for an arm with those two fast, deep threat receivers and Lockett and, uh, uh, um, and DK. So I, I figured that would be a good idea to maybe grab him and to see what he's about. I like him. I thought he was the best quarterback in this draft personally. Um, not a lot of talent in this draft, but I thought Malik Willis was a, a, a good prospect, good guy that could come in here and be you know, at least a playmaker. He's going to make mistakes, obviously. His decision-making isn't the best at all times, but he's got a cannon. He's very mobile, will extend plays and make plays. So I figured that would be an exciting guy to go nab in this draft. But And he sat late, so they could have got him. But, um, no, I, I, I don't know what the plan is. Honestly, I don't really care. Um, I, 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 I'm more worried about Russell Wilson in our division at this point now. He's with him over here, but – I mean, for the fans over there, I, I would not be excited about that quarterback situation at all. Nice. Looks like the Green Bay Packers took a wide receiver. Holy shit. The Romeo, <laughs> Romeo Dobbs. Romeo Dobbs. Well, didn't they take? They took a wide receiver last night too. Yeah. Yeah. So they've they've gotten a couple guys, and, they, and the funny thing is, they just refused to take a wide receiver in the first round. The first round yeah. Five yeah. running backs now gone. Tennessee took another running back. Okay. They're go, they're going, man. They are going. Oof. We're up in two picks. Um, all right. Next question. Uh, this is more on the uh, well, the Eagles now. Mm. We obviously seen the Eagles, the kind of trades that they made, the picks that they made. Now my question is: Are the Eagles a QB away from actually competing or contending, or is Jalen Hurts the answer? The answer. 
I think it's a little bit in between because I, I think that the, the Jalen Hurts has an opportunity here to really prove himself. And Jalen Hurts, unlike Drew Locke, has already shown that he has some of this. Upside, for sure. Yeah, he's an insane athlete, first of all. The dude is incredibly mobile. He's a big-bodied quarterback. He's not small at any by any means. He's not accurate. 6'2", 6'3", 230-pound quarterback. That's a big he dude. Run like a running back. Yeah, the problem, like Trevor just said, though, is the fact that he deals with inaccuracy. Now, again... I think that some of that can be fixed. The thing that Jalen Hurts works with or struggles with are things that you can fix. You can work on accuracy. That is something you can get better at. I mean, you saw guys like Drew Brees come in the league, you know, completing 59% of his passes with the Chargers and then ends up becoming the most accurate quarterback of all time. Exact Josh Allen, yeah. same exact thing. He one was, off season, he was yes like within one year. Difference. And Jalen Hurts, the type of dude who works his ass off. He's on the grind constantly. Mm-hmm. And now that you add an AJ Brown, a guy Team, he's been friends teammate. with, a teammate, yes. Yep. All of a sudden, you have yourself a top tier possessions receiver in AJ Brown, plus the talents of Devontae Smith. All of a sudden, that offense that offense becomes that much more spectacular. And I say that intentionally because they're the type of offense that can be spectacular. But can they do the gritty things? Can they, you know, roll out a twelve to fifteen play drive? That's debatable because I don't know if they have those pieces yet. But could they be a fun, high octane offense? Yeah, I do. So I think that it's going to come down to the Eagles. I think the Eagles are, are basically presenting Jalen Hurts an opportunity to prove what he is because they did take him with a first round pick, if I'm not mistaken. So they they do believe in him in a sense. And Nick Sirianni has been given enough leeway to experiment, if you will. And plus, Jalen Hurts benefited off the fact that this is a again weak quarterback draft. So he had the advantages here. He's got an opportunity. He capitalizes. He is the Eagles quarterback for the foreseeable future. But I don't think they've ruled out the opportunity to replace him or go out there and get another guy that can be better because, as we know, the Eagles were in the mix for a Deshaun Watson. That was a guy they were looking at and they were looking to trade for. That didn't happen, so they're sticking with what they know and who they have. And I think Jalen Hurts has a golden opportunity to make himself in the in the, like a long-term quarterback for the, for the Philadelphia Eagles. I do want to say... Just a side note: Two punters have been taken in the fourth round. Uh, anyways, um, the Ravens. Yeah, and, and the Buccaneers. Uh, two punters, two fourth round punters. Um, uh, no, so I'm a. I actually like Jalen Hurts a lot. I like he's, he's as far as I mean, I'm a big fantasy guy. So from fantasy, he's he, he aspect. He's a very fun guy to have on your team just because of his running abilities and things like that. But in real life football, he's got a lot of mistakes. Uh, uh, he's got a, he's prone to mistakes, I should say. Uh, he he sometimes. Has that Lamar Jackson? Granted, he's not as good as a runner as Lamar Jackson, but he's right up there next to him, probably second to Lamar Jackson as far as running quarterbacks go. He's he's incredible, but sometimes he picks the wrong time to run, uh, runs into a defensive player, loses the ball, or tries to do it to Jameis Winston and throw the ball as he's falling down. Making he's he's got poor decision making sometimes, and he's he's just too inaccurate right now to be uh, considered you know a top tier or even a second third tier quarterback in this league. But I will say that addition of AJ Brown is huge for this offense. Um, figuratively and literally, uh, AJ Brown's a force. Um, he's going to make every single team he goes to better. He's going to he's going to create a comfort zone for any quarterback he plays for because he's that much of an. Uh, I mean, look what he's done with uh, Tannehill so far. Granted, Tannehill is a good quarterback uh, and is a fairly accurate quarterback, but he's not that great. If we're all being honest, he's very mistake prone as well. Uh, when that he showed his ass last past um, postseason, uh, I think through four picks in that game, he's just, he's atrocious in a lot of decision making as well. And I think. I think Jalen Hurts is better than Tannehill in my mind. I think he's got way better chops uh, athletically. Um, so you you couple that with with the, the the athletic gifted guy that is AJ Brown, an absolute force that 
DBs just do not want to see. Uh, I think that's going to open up a lot for this offense. Uh, and and this is a, they still have a, a good O line. They're working on getting better and better. And the, you know, you protect uh, uh, Jalen Hurts, you give him time to make plays. Him and AJ Brown are going to be fun to watch, man. Okay, next question. Uh, obviously, we've seen uh, was it Game Six between the Seventy Sixers and uh, who who they play? The Raptors. Raptors. Uh, obviously, the biggest talking point yeah. now is Joel Embiid is out indefinitely due to a orbital fracture. What does this mean for the 76ers, especially going into the conference semifinals? Uh, that means that they're done. If Joel Embiid can't play, they have zero percent chance of winning. I, usually, when you have a, when you have a team that has two guys that have at least one point in their career has been superstars, and one goes down, you think, oh, well, the other guy can elevate for at least a series. James Harden's not that guy anymore. James Harden's on the steady decline. Yeah. He is nowhere near what he once was, even just two, three years ago. And he's not even old. James Harden's 33 years old. He should have another three or four years of, of really good basketball left, especially in today's medical advances and technology and things, the way that guys can prolong their primes. Mm-hmm. James Harden's a party animal. Especially him being he's, a shooter, ball handler. Yeah. Like, those guys usually last long. Well, and James Harden, he's, he's a party animal. He's in the clubs all the time. He doesn't really focus on his physical health. We've seen that throughout the last four or five years. Yeah. He gets real big during the season, but after the season, during the season. Tightens like up during the postseason. Yeah, exactly. And so... The Sixers have zero chance. I like Maxie a lot. I think he could be a potential star in this league. He probably already is, and he's going to get himself a max deal. But Joel Embiid is the heart and center of that team. If they if they don't have a healthy Joel Embiid or at least a guy healthy enough to play, they have a zero percent chance because now the Eastern Conference has the more better like more better teams than the Western Conference does. Who would they play in the next round? Of the, uh, the Bucks or the Celtics? Bucks or Celtics? No, Bucks versus Celtics, and then 76ers versus. Oh, I apologize. I thought I meant like the Eastern Conference. My bad. Eastern Conference Finals. Uh, they would face the. I'm not even sure who they would face right now because oh, they shit. just they just beat they just beat the Raptors in that series. So, so I sure. know the Bucks are the Bucks versus Celtics, and it's the uh, the 76ers versus Miami. There you oh, go, Miami. Yeah, yeah I, I wouldn't well, pick. Yeah, they're, Miami. They're, banged up, they're banged up too, though. Yeah, that's a banged up team too, though. But I mean, that's a tough defensive team. Uh, but it's my yeah. It's yeah, my, they they wouldn't be able to beat Miami in that series without Joel. I don't think they beat anybody left in the East without Joel. I mean, that's just yeah. I mean, I guess I'll give my take, guys. I, I just think that yeah, they think they're one hundred percent dead in the water uh, if if Joel can't go, and it's looking like he's gonna be. It's it's weeks. I mean, he broke a bone in his face. Yeah, you know what I mean. And that's an orbital bone. That's the bone that's the structure of your eye. You know what I mean. That's not something. You can just play around with it. You can lose your eye if you, you know, damage it further. So that's going to take weeks for him to even heal up from that. Maybe it, it sucks, man. It really, really sucks to Look see at, that. Look uh, at, who was it, the, the guy that Canelo fought. Yeah. He could be done. I mean, he the took a massive thing. elbow from, from uh, what's his yeah. name? So, uh, he could potentially lose eyesight from that from that eye. It, it's terrible, man. Yeah. Um, all right, next question. Should Mike Trout leave the Angels if he wants to compete for a World Series? Yeah, but he won't. That's the problem with Mike Trout is he's one of those guys. I, I often look at uh, Mike Trout in the same light as like a Damian Lillard. They just they they refuse to back off of this idea that you need to be loyal to a franchise. I, I'm not going to go on a t- I'm not going to go on a tirade here. But the biggest mistake that pro athletes make is is, is a mentality that, that, that you need to be loyal to a franchise. Go ahead. We took yeah, yeah. a corner Joshua Williams from Fayetteville State. Fayetteville State. Okay, yeah. If you can't look into him real quick, because yeah, I have no idea who that is. But I, I can uh, actually, I think Tom was actually just texting me. He said, yeah, he called that. Watch for Joshua Williams from Fayetteville at 135. Small schools corner who Chiefs had in for a visit. There we go. So this is a guy that the Chiefs obviously liked. Nice. 
So just just to say this, another corner. Just to say this real quick, and then we'll get we actually we can actually dive into that real quick about this guy. Um, the, the the biggest mistake that pro athletes make is is being loyal to a franchise because franchises are only going to do what's best for them. Sure, you can make tons of money playing for a particular team. That franchise can love you. The fans can love you. All those things. But the moment you're no longer good for business or as great as you once were, they'll get rid of you. Yeah. And Mike Trout is the type of guy that is a transcendent talent and is being wasted with the Anaheim Angels or the Los Angeles of Anaheim Angels. And they're not complaining because they're the ones reaping all the benefits while Mike Trout doesn't. And even his contract was lower than what he should have gotten. Bryce Harper got a $300 million contract or $300 plus million contract. Mike Trout got a little over $150. How the hell is that possible? He is significantly better than Bryce Harper. But Bryce Harper does something that Mike Trout doesn't. He's not afraid to move on. Mm -hmm. And he moved on from the Washington Nationals and went to the Phillies and got paid and has a better situation. Even though the Nationals won the World Series, the Phillies are a better organization on a normal basis. And now that that Mike Trout is looking at a situation where he's going nowhere fast, even with Shohei Otani next to him, it's just a really sad situation to see, man. But I don't feel bad for him in the same breath because he's choosing to do this. Mike Trout could easily request a trade. Mike Trout could have easily not signed that contract and became a free agent and yeah. signed with the Yankees, Red Sox, Phillies, any of these other teams. Didn't do it. So this is on Mike Trout, man, at this point. He, it wasn't his fault he got tra- drafted to the Angels, but it is his fault that in his mid to late 20s decided to hitch his wagon to the Angels. He's just one of those guys, man, and that's why you'll probably never see Mike Trout as a star player winning World Series. Yeah, Mike Trout, and similar to Damian Lillard, is one of those guys that has one, is one of the biggest names in the sport, maybe arguably the biggest name in the sport that he plays in. Um, even more than the Damian Lillard would. His name carries more weight than even the Damian Lillard probably would um, within his respected sport. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's his choice, I mean, and, and I respect it. Uh, I don't think it's the smartest move. I mean, I think you want to do what's best for you, but I mean, it, it depends on what motivates these individuals. You know, is it loyalty? Is it being that guy? Is it, you know, I mean, who knows? It's obviously not true success in the game because if you want to have true success in the game, you'd want to do and be a little selfish and go find that, you know, uh, a place where it's possibly the grass is greener on the other on the other side. So I, if I was him, I I would probably want to go find success elsewhere. Just because this 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 franchise hasn't proven anything to you that they want to you know uh, surround you with more talent and be a team that's you know up there in the rankings of being uh, regarded as a true contender. It's just not in the book for him right now. I mean, it could happen in the next few years. Who knows? They they, they draft a couple guys and figure out make some moves to you know whatever. Uh, I just don't see it happening. I just don't. I think he's just too loyal to a fault, just similar to, to Damian Lillard. Uh, they've, they've tried numerous different ways. He's going to have his numbers. He's going to go down as one of the greatest at his position ever. Um, and one of the few real marketable guys in this league. But it's just hard to market it when you're in a team that's just not marketable, period. So, um, And that's saying a lot, too. That's a you know, California-based team, you know, so – for you to be that that bad and no one wants to, you know, you're not attracting talent to a California-based team. It just says a lot about that franchise you're playing for. Um, so he's the only one really putting asses in that seats and those seats. Um, so it's 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 really up to him, man. It's really his choice. If he he has the namesake and the power to kind of go wherever he wanted, if he really wanted to push the envelope, but he's remained stagnant where he's at. So I mean, it is what it is, man. So I'm bringing a little bit more on Joshua Williams. Yeah, yeah, he's the three. yeah he's the first NCAA D2 player. Uh, to be drafted so far this uh, this draft, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, so the Chiefs decided to go D2. Uh, and then the Chiefs relative, 
athletic score is a 9.43 out of 10. He's 6'3", 195. Yeah. yeah. Uh, All Tom texted me say he's a big, feisty corner yeah. that needs to learn a little bit more about the game. But he said he's extremely talented. He's great on the inside as well. So that's a guy that the Chiefs obviously want to mold into becoming a cornerback for them, a rotational cornerback. And that's the best thing about this. Going to compete with Rashad Fitton probably. This falls right into the brand of what the Brett Veach had in plan uh, for this draft, mm-hmm. is to get as many defenders primarily in the cornerback secondary side and let Spags turn these guys into what he wants them to become. Hey, six, three, them almost, almost six four runs a, a four five. I mean, six three corner man. Yeah, you know. So and the, the the strengths are exceptional size, length, and top end speed. Plays with impressive body composure, control. Back pedal is low and smooth. Plays fast, agile with feet, short and short spaces above average recovery. Um, yeah, man. I mean, uh, you can't ask for much more. You know, yeah, a late a late fourth they're, round. They're pick saying he's compete. a good development pick for the Chiefs. So. Could become a starter. Yeah, I saw a backup that has the possibility yep. of becoming a starter. Again, with the math bomb. Uh, I just uh, I just saw the tweet. Garrett Williams actually from Kingdom Says Podcast retweeted it. Uh, he said that Joshua. This is from Kent Lee Plant. Uh, Joshua Williams was drafted in the 135th pick of the round four of the 2022 class. He scored a 9.43 RAS out of a possible 10. This ranks him 115th out of from 2001, from 1980, from 1987 to 2022. Mm-hmm. Out of 2001, I'm sorry, out of 2001 players, he ranked 115th from 1987 to to current. So we're looking at a lot of talent. Stockpiling that again, raw talent. Let's yeah, let's raw. let's keep it real. I'm not sitting here saying this is the next Ty Law here. No. I'm saying that this these are guys that that the Chiefs are giving spags to develop into yeah. so this is great man I'm, I'm really liking these picks all right so next question uh so i know it's way too early in the season but the mets could become trouble for the dodgers this season sure uh if they want to get to the world series uh thoughts the mets are a team that are a boomer bust team to me because they're relying on guys that are both injury prone and old so max scherzer is right now the ace of their their rotation max Scherzer is one of the greatest pitchers of all time but Max Scherzer is going to be 38 years old. Is his arm going to be able to hold up this year? Now, he's an ultimate competitor, and he takes care of his body very well. So more, more than likely, yes, because even if you look at Justin Verlander, who's just as old, I think maybe even older than Max Scherzer, he's still throwing in the mid-90s, and he's playing, he's pitching incredibly. So Max Scherzer could very well do that. But then Jake DeGrom, who's probably the best pitcher in baseball, is still dealing with injuries since last season. And when you saw Jake DeGrom last season, he looked like Zach Greinke in 2009. Just unhittable. You could not hit him, and he's striking out everybody with three, four p- different pitches, which is absurd. So, yes, the Mets could be that problem, but could is the key here. Because guys like Pete Alonso a lot of times loses his focus and just gets angry and wants to fight all the time. Great player, but the dude is always, he's talking about, I could put anybody in the hospital if I want to. And so it's like, bro, you gotta, you gotta just. Oh, Arenado was mad because the St. Louis Cardinals, then they kept throwing at each other. There's new baseballs they don't like. I get it. But Pete Alonso's gotta have more composure than that as a leader of that ball club dude so i like the mets i had them in the nlcs this year just based upon pitching but i i i still need to see them get through the regular season healthy otherwise they're doomed man yeah i mean and plus it's extremely early and it's it's baseball you know it's like a three-year season every year you know so it's uh it's extremely early to maybe making these predictions on who's a threat to who um things change people get hurt uh rotations change people lose their momentum you know, bats start going down. It, 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 so we've seen so many good teams that we thought were going to be the team, you know, squander and, and, and fall. And, and underdogs are always there every year in baseball. Um, so I'm not going to sit here and try to have, make that prediction. But I mean, they're, they're definitely talent wise, pitching especially, their bullpen is nice. I mean, they they have what it takes to be that team. But this is a long, baseball is a long, grueling season and things always change. 
Um, so I, I'm really just taking the wait and see approach before I try to make that uh, that prediction. But they, as of right now, the way it looks, yes, the, optically, yes, they are definitely a threat for sure. All right. Uh, so we saw the Warriors defeat the the Nuggets four to one. Did anybody? Did you guys expect that? Uh, I called. Nope. That. I picked the I picked the Nuggets. So I want to get your thoughts on that. No, let's start with Trevor because he got the, he got it right. Yeah, I just this is what I'm saying, man. Just uh, Steph was making the shots when needed. Uh, the the Nuggets just simply are not deep enough. Uh, Clay was starting to come alive finally towards the end. Draymond was that anchor for them again. Draymond was very uh, when he was available was very much Draymond. He was playing great defense on Jokic. He was making Jokic work. We're, I mean, Jokic's numbers were insane in the series, though. I mean, my God, the dude was balling. Uh, he just they did, their team just wasn't enough. Aaron Gordon was becoming very aggressive and was becoming a really good player for them in this in this series. They just I just think the overall coaching experience, the experience from the players and the Warriors, them being here so many times. This was just a series that I just did not see the Nuggets surviving, in my opinion. I don't think they had the fire. I don't think they had the firepower to keep up with the what the Warriors were doing offensively. Um, yeah, I just think they're. I mean, I know Jokic is like such a big name right now, and he's been he's the previous MVP, and he's you know fun to watch. Uh, but he he did his thing. There's just only so much. It's, it felt similar to like a LeBron led team where LeBron's numbers and his PER and everything, all the analytical stuff side of everything, it was just out the roof. Yeah, but it just wasn't enough. This Jokic, this this Nuggets team just isn't good enough to me. They they still need to get Jamal Murray back in the rotation. He's just got to stay healthy. If he was in this series, I think it'd been a little bit different with his ability to play great defense on Steph and his ability to score at will uh, against Steph would have been fun to watch. But I think missing that kind of that 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 guard that's a you know a premier scorer and a really good perimeter defender against Steph Curry to, to kind of balance that out would have been a big help and a boost for this team. Kind of could have went another way if that if he was available, but no, I just didn't think they had the guards uh, to compete with the, the the Warriors guards, and then Clay Thompson actually getting going, and you know his shooting was getting going. So I think there was just too much experience and too much shooting uh, prowess for the Warriors on their on their side of things to uh, for the. And it wasn't really even I mean a comp- there were some competitive games, but I think everyone knew <laughs> watching these games that the Warriors were going to pull them out, and they did. They, you know, they the Nuggets barely squeezed that one win out. So I'm going to admit that I was 100% wrong about the Warriors this year, but the reason why, and I'm going to defend myself a little bit, nobody saw Jordan Poole becoming this guy. Yeah, man. Jordan Poole should have been the most improved player of the year. unreal. Yeah, how the hell did John Morant, yeah. who won Rookie of the Year last year, it become the most Poole. improved player? Yeah. Filling Clay Thompson's shoes all year, he's been, been yeah. balling like, what, out, one of the best the shooters in his position. Yeah, exactly. So, it's like winning it's like winning the Silver Slugger Award and becoming the most yeah. outstanding hitter the next year. It's like, yeah. wait, what? This guy won Silver Slugger yeah, last that's, year. Yeah, weird. Anyway, uh, Jordan Poole's the reason why they beat the Nuggets. Not Steph Curry, not Klay Thompson, not Draymond Green. Because we know what those guys are. And without Jordan Poole, they're not a good enough team. Mm-hmm. The Nuggets would have won the series. The X Factor, something I love that Shaq always says, and, and it's 100% true, and I never thought about it until he started saying it. It isn't the superstars that win championships. It's the others. Look at the Celtics in 08. Everyone thought, oh, it's KG, Ray Allen, and Paul Pierce. No, it was James Posey and Rajon Rondo that won that series. Glenn Perk or uh, uh, Perk won that. Kendrick Perkins won that series. Those guys were the ones that made those big plays. Robert Ori with the Lakers hit the big shot. Spurs too. Yeah, Spurs. Same thing. Rockets. Even in his early years, right? And even in that one, Kenny the Jet Smith was a big factor in the early or the mid '90s for the Rockets. Yes, Derek Steve, Fisher with Steve the Lakers. Kerr, yes, Steve Kerr, like John Paxson, yep. uh, uh, Dennis Rodman making the clutch rebounds. Scotty Pippen, who's a superstar, but not not in the early nineties, I mean, was making heat, big defensive stops. Yeah. Yes, Ray Allen with the with the Heat. Yep. I can make example after example after example. Dennis Johnson with the Celtics back in the eighties. 
These are the guys that win these titles because the superstars are going to get you there. Same with, like I, I say about Patrick Mahomes. He's going to get you the AFC Championship. He's going to get you to the Super Bowl, he's but they need these role players, these defensive players make big plays. Yep. Like, look, okay, let's say Tom Brady, the, that bullshit D4 dumbass offsides, right? Let's say that doesn't happen. You know who makes the game-winning play? Charvarius Ward on yeah. an interception. A guy the Chiefs drafted or traded a backup center for mm-hmm. in 2018. Like, think about that, man. An undrafted rookie would have been the guy that got the Chiefs to the Super Bowl for the first time in 50 years. So it's the others. So Jordan Poole is the others. And Jordan Poole might be the reason why the Warriors win a fucking title this year because this team with him is next level. Because you have Andrew Wiggins, who we didn't even mention, a solid perimeter defender who can score 25 a night. Mm -hmm. Plus all these other guys, these three Hall of Fame players with Jordan Poole. Yeah, and with Steve Kerr, one of the five yeah. best co- coaches in basketball. Well. It's it's unbelievable what this Warriors team is doing. I was so wrong, but I love that I was wrong because guys like Jordan Poole, seeing a legacy emerge is something I love in sports, man. And he's becoming, he's building a legacy. He's about to get himself paid, yeah. and I love it, and it's great. Could, he's been so good, they could move off clay. And by the way, yes, that's that's true. Wow. But uh, real quick, Arrowhead Live, guy that we trust big time, said that Joshua Williams was PFF's 117th overall prospect. And the Chiefs got him at 135. (laughs) So the Chiefs got him 18 spots better than what he was established to be. Or 18 spots behind what he was established to be. A good, you know, competitive guy that's got to go out there and and compete compete at camp and, and, you know, maybe push uh, Baker and Rashad Fenton for their jobs. Sure. I like that. And the the new corner. Well, yeah, even McGuff, but yeah. He's... McDuffie, because yeah. I mean, they're both they're both rookies. They're both going to compete. McDuffie, I think McDuffie's a day one though. I think McDuffie's going to come in and be a day one starter. I think he's got. Yeah, that. They, but but I mean, like I'm saying, like yeah, it's going to create. That, yep, you got that that pressure, depth man. and comp- competition, man. Yeah, that's corners. what I'm saying. Competition. That's what we, yeah, that's what we, we need. lacked that last year majorly. So this is yeah. All right, last question. I saved the best one for Do it. last. Uh, so last uh, yesterday, it was announced that Trevor Bauer has been given a two year suspension. By MLB, what are your thoughts? I got a lot of them. Um, some unpopular, some cancelable, um, and some that I feel are pretty safe. So I'm gonna say them all. Starting with the safe, Trevor Bauer is a representation, an example that the, the MLB is making out of players that have sexual assault, sexual allegations, sexual misconduct, all those things mm. attached to them. MLB is playing, basically telling them that they're not playing games with these guys. So much so that you're not going to play game games for two years. Make an example out of them. Make an example out of them. And if let me clear the air here, and I'm going to say it as bold as I can, as clear as I can. If Trevor Bauer actually sexually assaulted a woman, mm-hmm. he deserves every bit of this, and quite frankly, he should should have everything thrown at him. Should never play again. Should, should never play again. Should go to prison. Should serve every second that he deserves to be to give. You should never ever assault somebody. That's pretty well, fucking obvious. That's the lowest of low. Exactly. Yeah. Well, you're a grown man out here sexually assaulting women. You're a piece of shit, and you should serve every amount of, of jail time that you get. The problem with this situation, though, is the fact that all charges were dropped on Trevor Bauer. He did, all those allegations, all that right. stuff. We have. There's not. He's not serving any jail time. He's not been indicted on anything. There was no evidence. It's the there op- was no evidence. The, the 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 woman that is that claimed all this stuff was a woman that drove three hours to his place after the first assault. Mm-hmm. So this is confusing to me because Trevor Bauer, who's 31 years old, going to be 32 this year, is essentially losing his career now because he'll come back 34, 35 years old. What will he be at that point? We have no idea. 
And he was on the Dodgers, a team that could have won the World Series last year with them playing. And I know that's totally trivial compared to real-life shit. In fact, if he really did these things, the problem is we don't know. And this man's losing two years of his career, and his 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 legacy is tarnished forever. His 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 anything that he's attached to is done forever. No one will ever take him serious about anything ever. Like the whole Johnny Depp and Amber Heard thing. Johnny Depp said it himself on his trial. He goes, "No matter how innocent I might end up being at the end of this trial, my career is is fucked." Maybe I can get back into acting, all these other things, but no one will ever look at me the same. Tyree Kill, who was proven innocent in the court of law. People still tweeted him, child abuser, woman abuser, because optics are optics. And Trevor Bauer forever is tarnished because of this, no matter if he's innocent or a real genuine sack of shit. And I don't know what he is. So I'm not going to sit here and incriminate this man when I don't know what he truly did or didn't do. Mm. So it's really sad to see if, in fact, this man is innocent to lose essentially his career. But if he did do it, then I'm so fucking had, glad it happened. And if we can prove it one day that he did, we're throwing a parade for this woman. We're throwing a parade for what the MLB just did because that is just to serve. My problem is, from my sit, where I'm sitting right here in our studio, I can't prove it. And I think that right now, until you can prove it, unless I'm mistaken here, we live in a society that claims that you are innocent until proven guilty. I feel that he's being done wrong if he wasn't proven because, again, the MLB hasn't come out with any evidence. The court system hasn't come out with any evidence. So why is he being punished? Just to be made an example of? That's not right. Yeah. That's not right. And that's where I'll stand on it. Yeah, this is one of the few grievances I have with the judicial system is the, 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 the power that allegations carry, the weight that allegations, whether true or false, carry. Because um, all these are right now are allegations, and the man's career might be ruined. Because and listen, I'm not talking light on the matter, the allegations of what they are, and the the, the, the claims that are there. Um, it's just, I mean, that's that's a hefty that's a hefty fine for something that's not been, been proven yet, and he's going to have to carry that whether he's proven guilty or whether he's proven proven guilty or not guilty. Oh well, right? the case is already done and over with. That's what yeah. I'm saying. So, so like, he's innocent. Like, just, yeah. So, 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 but I mean, just the, the lack allega- of evidence. Saying, the allegations are what caused this. It's simply optics that have caused this. Nothing came out against Deshaun Watson. There's nothing been proven against Deshaun Watson either. And it's just the allegations. You know what I mean? So I I feel that what I feel like is the judicial system really needs to come down on false accusers more. Because there's no no one's going to do time for falsely accusing someone of this. And you're possibly ruining someone's career and you're putting your hand in someone's pocket uh, uh, you know that these individuals have worked their entire lives for. I don't think that's fair in my mind. I'm not defending him because he could have done something very much, likely could have done something um, to especially a, a, a woman uh, who knows if it was self-defense or if things were going on and she came back again. You know, that's kind of a red flag there in the situation that she continued to come back. Granted, there's situations where women continue to go, go back to you know, abusers and vice versa. Men stay with abusers. Obviously, Johnny Depp's situation was, you know, he was being men and physically abused by a woman, he can continue to be with her. And there's just strange things that go on in the, in the lives of individuals. But I just don't like the fact that an allegation or multiple allegations can can ruin someone's life, even if they're false. So there's, there needs to be a crackdown on false allegations as well. So this situation, I'm not. I don't know all the details, you know, of everything. The case has been done. I don't. I don't. I don't support the idea that you 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 ban someone for for two years, especially someone of the caliber that is Trevor Bauer. Uh, for two whole seasons, um, possibly you know ruining his career moving forward, let alone his personal um, uh, you know identity and his personal uh, uh, reputation for just a human being. You know, what I mean, so that's it sucks. I don't know. I don't know. I'm not here supporting him. I'm not sure what he has or hasn't done in reality. 
but with the case being what it is and, and you know not being nothing solidified uh, uh, evidence wise um, it's hard it's hard to support that the, the MLB doing that then to be honest with you but I get the optics of it they want they don't want to be associated with the possibility that someone is doing that and is a part of their league I get that as well I don't think it's a real fair balanced um, disciplinary action honestly on, on what they've done to him. Uh, as far as him not like literally not being a guilty person, you know what I mean? I feel like that's just, I think that's that, but I do think that's just the time and age that we live in. People are wanting to avoid any kind of, you know, canceling of any people and carrying any kind of uh, uh, identity along with that. So I, I, I don't really support that. I think that's kind of weak in my mind. I think you need to stand true with, uh, 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 you know, the players that you know are great players in your league that are proven innocent. I think that's the way you should do it, regardless of whatever you know. Uh, feedback negatively that you get from fans and, and just writers and journalists in general. I think you got to stand with your guys as long as they're not, you know, not proven guilty. I think that's the way it should be. But you know, it is what it is, man. That we live. That's the time and age we live in, where things are very hot button. Things are very hot. You know, the topics are extremely hot, and they want to either you're either in or you're out. You know, with the, you know the click of a finger. So it's just I. I don't know, man. This is one of those situations where it's rough, similar to the Deshaun Watson thing. You know, it's a lot of overwhelming evidence that seems that it's you know damning, but then again, the case gets thrown out because there's not enough damning evidence. So it's just either way, both these guys' uh, uh, personal personas and, and, and identities are, are tarnished for the rest of their careers and possible lives. So, and, and just to throw that, to throw this out there, it's not like he. Uh they were dating for or like in a relationship for years and yeah he'd, like abusing, hookups. he'd been he'd been abusing her for for years no right. this was two i think it was two two uh hookups that they had mm-hmm. with the first uh her liking it rough and uh her telling them to smack her and right like beat her up pretty that much that was the first time and then that she came the back for time. more right and then she came back for more and then she goes and and, and and just let everybody know, Eddie's not making any of this up or speaking from his own yeah. point like, of view. This, this is documented. factual. This was actually brought up in court, and yeah. this is what we know. Which is why it was thrown out. And, exactly. And uh, she came back, drove three hours, and asked to get beat up again while having rough sex, essentially. So you got to look at that evidence, uh, why she come back if, according to her, he abused her the first time. Uh, why would you drive three extra hours and do the same thing over again if he quote unquote abused you the first time so that, was that's, the, kind that's, of, the, that's the first question you have so, was there any kind of like settlement was she paid off no. by any you don't know no no, okay. no, no. I didn't they, know if there was or not they, they met I can't remember where they met but but yeah and and now as it currently stands he is currently suing her for defamation wow so, I mean, as he should so for Major League to suspend him two years with him having a defamation lawsuit against a woman who essentially has accused him of an abuser, a woman beater, and all this stuff. Is she the only one, or is there other women? No, it's just the only one. That's, yeah. So I, I think MLB took took this a little too extreme. I think they 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 just wanted to make an example of somebody. Right. Kind of a scapegoat. And I, and yeah, it kind of like an escape code, and, and I texted you guys yesterday. 
this is not good for the MLB because he can come back and sue the Major League Baseball for essentially suspending him two years. Defamation of character, exactly. all kinds of shit. Like, why are you sus- yeah. like, why are you suspending me for two years? What I, I didn't do no PEDs, I didn't do no drugs, I didn't yeah. do, I didn't test positive for anything. They give, they give first first offenders on PED use fifty to sixty 50, game yeah, suspensions, eighty games. Yeah, eighty games. I'm sorry, yeah, yeah eighty game suspensions. They're not, that's half the season, not let alone two full seasons. Right. Second of yeah. all, to your point, Eddie. The Deshaun Watson situation. If this was the same thing where Trevor Bauer had like oh, six, seven, eight offenders, let alone twenty-two, right. then we're sitting here going, guys, there's a lot of smoke. There's got to be some fire around there's, this. There's, there's got to be something. And, and I can see why the MLB would have suspended him for two years. Uh, then, then I would be like, well, I mean, uh, I can't really say it's like, oh, why'd you suspend it? But when it's only one girl and right. now you're coming back and suing her. Kind of like exactly like the Johnny Depp situation. He wants this for smoke. defamation. Yeah, like he wants he like he's not doing this because he doesn't think he's he's innocent. No, he's yeah. doing it because he knows he's innocent and yeah. he. Yeah, that's the actions of a man that feels righteous. Yeah, yeah. You don't do a defamation lawsuit if you know you're going to lose. Right. Yeah, it makes no sense. You're losing money, time, and you've already you're lost your career. Worse. So yeah, exactly. So what? Yeah, it only makes you. Well, yeah, because if they you're dig into it a little like, bit more, then optics. they can start having indictments come down farther down, further down. Optic wise, you're already looking pretty bad, and then you go in there and do a defamation lawsuit, and then you lose. Yeah, <sighs> it's a tricky one, man. It, it, it's a tough situation. Uh, it's a touchy subject. I, I, for sure. Yeah, I, I think the MLB jumped the gun, and they fucking jumped it way too much. Uh, I think maybe this one season where uh, obviously let let all these things calm down, see what happens. Yeah. And then you can go go on from there. But Trevor Bauer missed all of last season. Does that count towards this suspension? Right. Or are we talking right. from now, from this it's season from on? From now, probably. Because yes. this will be his second season that he misses. So if you're adding two more seasons to this season mm. – that you're talking about four years yeah. of, of him being away from from baseball. That's yep. rough. That's that's insane. Yep. So yeah. and he's one of the best in his position. It's not like he's some nobody. Exactly. Trevor Bauer is one of the best pitchers in the league. Man. Yes. <laughs> yes, he crazy. is. Yes, he is. So. Yeah, it sucks. And it's and, and and just to add one more point, and we'll move on. I think that there's added incentive for the major leagues to do this because he's one been the not one of the most vocal. Player yeah, against no. the MLB, against Rob Manfred. Never. He's calling him out by name. So I think the MLB is like, oh, we get to take an opportunity to get some a pound of flesh oh, off this guy. motherfucker. Let's yeah. do it. Yeah. So I think there's some there's something to that as well. But again, like I said, if he did do this, then Trevor Bauer deserves all of this. And I hope he goes to prison because you, I sh- there should be nobody well, out here freely he, walking doing shit well, like he that. He can't go to prison anymore. I know. I'm saying I, my hope would be that he would be in prison for a guy that would do something like that if, in fact, he did. Because I don't want people like that walking around the, on the streets, man, and, and maybe potentially hurting somebody else. That's it. I appreciate Eddie. Good Eddie. I already do appreciate that. We got one more order, order of business to get to, guys. What's it called? Hold, Hold this L. L. Each and every week, we finish up each and every episode with a series of L's in the world of sports, whether they're friendly or not friendly L's in the world of sports. Whoever's holding those L's in the world of sports deserve those L's. Eddie Ortiz, Mr. Yo, 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 who's holding the L for you, and why does it take three weeks for you to get an L out of this bad boy? Uh, man, I don't know, but I'm going to give it to uh, Ferrari and Formula One. Hey. Mm. Hey. Why am I going to give it Only to Only because them? I didn't ask if it's hey, F1, exactly, this motherfucker. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> why am I going to give it to them? Obviously, this past weekend... Uh, the race was in Italy, obviously Ferrari, Italian brand, uh, Italian owned. Uh, they were at a home Grand Prix pretty much. So they have 
arguably the strongest card in in the, in the garage this season. Obviously, Red Bull is putting up a fight, but I, I do think that uh, Ferrari has the best car out there by a, by a long shot. And last weekend was crucial if uh, Charles Leclerc and Carlos Sainz wanted to get further ahead in the Constructors and in the Drivers' Championship uh, and, and keep that substantial lead. Uh, but obviously, everything went, went wrong for Ferrari. Uh, race started. Uh, First, uh, first turn, or turn one, uh, Daniel Ricciardo hits uh, Carlos Sainz. Carlos Sainz goes into the gravel, gets stuck out of the race. So now Ferrari's down to one car. Red Bull has two cars up in the top three. So then Sergio Perez passes Charles Leclerc. So now you have Red Bull 1-2, and then you got Ferrari. And obviously Charles Leclerc kept pushing, kept pushing, kept pushing, kept pushing, kept pushing. And he was he was on Sergio Perez's ass. He yeah. was He was... He was hauling ass, and all that pressure got to him, and he and he made a mistake. He he created the error that cost him uh, at least a, a, a top three finish. Mm. So you went from having a a, a two four position to a what well, he fell down to ninth, finished seventh. So and only one car to finish the race. You can't have these kinds of races if you're if you want to win championships. This, these moments are crucial, especially in Formula One, because one race can change everything. Uh, it is very, very uh, uh, mentally demanding. The sport's mentally demanding that when you have situations like this, it can it can be very bad for you. So hopefully Ferrari can come out uh, come up and. And show out in in Miami this next week, so we'll see what happens there. But for for what happened last weekend, and for it was your time to shine, man. For all you're gonna have to do me a favor and hold, hold this, this L. L. Trevor Twidwell, who's holding the L for you I this just week? Want to give you guys an update. We traded from 158 uh, in the fifth round up to, with the Seahawks to up to 145. Pick, oh yeah, pick. Uh, the pick is in. I don't know. I'm not sure who it is yet, but we did trade. Um, that fifth pick, or that, that fifth round pick, and a seventh round pick up with the Seattle Seahawks. That's the beauty of having move four seventh round picks, baby. Yeah, to move up 13 spots. So, um, yeah. So the pick is in. I'm not sure what we got yet, but I want to give. You guys. I okay, got okay. You. I, got you. I want to give a, uh, a W real quick, though, to uh, one Campbell Anders, a familiar name with local Chiefs fans. Obviously, we know him uh, very well, one of the best fullbacks we ever had in this, in the, uh, uh, in this franchise. Uh, he was um, named in the uh, Chiefs Ring of Honor Hall of Fame. Nice. Um, I just want to give him his shout out. You know, uh, a guy that was a part of this city for a while um, was on some gro- some of the greatest Chiefs teams ever. Mm-hmm. Uh, was a, a, a fun personality, um, a fun guy to uh, to watch play football every Sunday. So I just wanted to give him his shout out. Um, mine's gonna be pretty simple. <clears throat> mine's going to the Dallas Cowboys. Um, as we all saw, the the. Um, the trade, the trading bonanza that was uh, in the first round of the NFL draft. We saw, um, you know, two uh, very talented wide receivers get traded in the first round. Uh, uh, you know, the, with the names of uh, Hollywood Brown uh, being traded, and getting in, and then you know, getting a first round pick out of him, and then AJ Brown them getting a first round, the Titans getting a first round pick out of him, and then you got Amari Cooper being traded. You know, before the, obviously months before the draft started, but only getting a fifth round pick for Amari Cooper when they could have waited till draft day because he was still very much under contract. <laughs> they could have waited till draft day. You're telling me that they couldn't get the same uh, uh, draft capital for uh, Hollywood Brown? 
Yeah, go ahead. We, we picked uh, Darian Kennard, offensive tackle, Kentucky. Okay. Offensive tackle, okay. I knew I knew we needed to go offensive tackle. Got, yep. I have us taking a couple offensive line nice. in this draft anyway. So, yeah, I like that. Um, I'm guessing he's probably like a swing tackle kind of guy that could be moved around, I'm sure. Um, that's awesome. I like that. I'm glad we took a, a, an offensive line. We needed some more depth there. But, yes, so I'm just getting back to my point. I, I mean, you get a first-round pick for Hollywood Brown. You get a first-round pick for, for, for uh, uh, um, uh, um, what's the name from the Titans? A.J. Brown. You know, these two guys, you're getting first-round picks. You're telling me that you couldn't get a first-round pick for Amari Cooper. You absolutely could if you waited till the draft. But here you are getting a fifth-round pick for Amari Cooper, who's still one of the very much highly, you know, we are, shit, we were feeding for him for the Chiefs to make a trade. We are pissed that they only gave up a, yep. the Browns only gave up a fifth-round pick to get him. And that's that's obviously straight thievery looking at the, what the, uh, you know, these other receivers are getting in the draft. And who knows what uh, uh, the Niners could have got for Debo if they really wanted to get rid of him. Um, they were even offered a first round pick, so all these guys were getting first round <laughs> trade, uh, uh, first round um, draft capital uh, offers. Uh, and meanwhile, the Browns all they had to do was dish out a fifth round pick to get Amari Cooper. Uh, so for that, Dallas Cowboys, do me a solid favor and hold, hold this L. L. Kind of would like to give myself a, a W real quick. Just a side note because in Take my off. draft, my draft predictions, I had the Chiefs going offensive tackle with their seventh pick, mm. and what do you know? With their seventh pick, the motherfuckers go OT. So that's that's a I'm gonna look into this uh, Darian Kennard uh, from what uh, Arrowhead Live is saying uh, he's a nasty run blocker and it's a great value pick in the fourth round so that's that's exciting to see the the Chiefs go and get that guy uh, at that position so man that's that's really good to see and I'm gonna dig deeper into that and I'm kind of it's kind of cool to like do this again because we haven't done this since 2019 where we were doing like a live. Uh, reaction. I almost got. I had a six round of right tackle. I had a six ten. A six round of right tackle going for us, but yeah, round off. Yeah, this is pretty cool, man. So I, I actually want to. No offensive tackle. <laughs> <laughs> we always take an. Offensive I think it's just good because, like I said, Andrew Wiley right now is the starting right tackle. Lucas yep. Ning still working his way back from a severe knee injury. Yep. I think that's good, man. I think that's a good pick. We'll obviously dig deeper into this as time goes on. But I want to give my di- my uh, my W to a uh, David Ajobu. Biggest reason why this guy was a surefire top. 12-15 pick out of Michigan this year. Just an unbelievable defensive specimen. Blows his freaking Achilles at his pro day. They showed the video yesterday. It was just disheartening to see it. This guy falls, and people are thinking, man, is he going to get drafted? Is like, is anybody going to take him and give yeah. him an opportunity in the first three or four rounds? And then at pick 45, the Ravens go and sign him, go and draft him, rather. They're, more than likely, he's not going to play his rookie year. But to see a guy that was going to make millions to start his career off now get a chance to prove his worth, it sucks to see, but it's also great to see that he's still got a chance to get in the top 50. And I think he's going to be an absolute stud for the Ravens. The Ravens know how to get those linebackers. They know how to draft defense. I think David Ajobu is going to be that, and I want to give him a W for that as well, man. But yeah, absolutely. Uh, my, my L, man, <laughs> look. I didn't want to go basketball, but I'm going to go basketball because there's a legacy. There's a couple of legacies that have just been absolutely destroyed this week, and that is the that is one Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. <laughs> this week, they got swept by the Celtics, a team that I did pick the Celtics to win in five, so it wasn't a shock that the Celtics won. But not only did Kevin Durant leave a team that was on the was it was a dynasty, and it was going to continue to be a dynasty with him, even with his Achilles tear. But Kyrie Irving left LeBron James in the prime of his career. He left LeBron James when they were in the midst of a three, soon-to-be-four finals-in-a-row appearances. 
Kyrie Irving left that to go to the Celtics to not win nothing, then went to the Nets to not win nothing, and now they're getting swept in the first round against, ironically, the Celtics. And for me, man, these guys both had a golden opportunity to build their legacies with their former employers and rack up championships or at least finals appearances that are going to elevate their legacies as individual players. And they chose, no, we're going to do it a different way that historically doesn't work out. We're going to sit here and say that we don't need a head coach because we can be the head coach and we can be the GM. Literal words of these two. And now they're out here sending out cryptic tweets about, man, I don't take shots at the at the peasants. I don't take shots at the the, the, the big guys. And Kevin Durant's out here quote tweeting people with literally 29 followers that are coming at him. It's just an utter and disastrous mess, man. And it's about as bad as Derek Carr's last two hairdos. So I just want to say, Kevin Durant... Kyrie Irving, y'all taking some L's on the on the court. Y'all also going to take some L's here at the Spoken Podcast. Do me a solid aid. Hold, Hold this L. Yeah. Hope you guys had a blast today. I know I had a blast today. You'll excuse us. We need to get to breaking down some more Chiefs draft picks because our guy Brett Veach is out here tapping that ass we in the draft. We're so stoked about this one. I hope you guys had a great time. For the great Arrowhead Tom that's with us today from the Kingdom Says Podcast, for Trevor Twidwell, Eddie Ortiz, and the great Clay Winler that puts this bad boy together, episode 165 is the done, finished, finito. I'm Lance Twidwell, and until we're back here for episode 166 to really relish and reflect on what the Chiefs did as a whole in this draft and get ready for the next season, man, when Patrick Holmes takes over for episode 5 of his career as the starting quarterback for episode 166. And for episode 165 today, we out of this bitch. We're going to get out of this bitch. Thank you so much for listening, guys. See y'all. You are tuned in to the Spoken. I might actually stick around for a little bit.